This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. that I think one issue that probably gets a little too much coverage in the media is the whole transgender issue. And I've said this because it really does affect so few people. And I think conservative outlets have an interest in covering this as much as they can because it inflames the whole culture wars argument. I think liberal outlets have an interest in uh, covering this as much as they can because it shows that they're down with the LGBTQ agenda when I've always believed this is something that really affects a minuscule portion of the population. However, the few areas where I do think we are lacking as a country a sound policy and where that in the areas where we do have a sound policy, it's totally ridiculous are the areas of competitive sports, prison and maybe, you know, locker rooms and bathrooms and things of that nature. Uh, Dominic Carter, a veteran broadcast journalist who is my uh, lead in on WABC in New York, has been all over this latest story out of New Jersey where former NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines is essentially saying Title IX means nothing after a trans New Jersey swimmer who competed on the men's team for three years smashed a collegiate record for the second time in three months. There happens to be another interesting aspect of the whole transgender debate. But before we get there, Dominic, give us the latest on this Riley Gaines uh, situation. Uh, I know she's been pretty outspoken on this before. Well, I, the only thing where you and I disagree, I feel this issue is extremely important, mm-hmm. not not just to to a small uh, handful. Imagine this situation, Frank. Let's say let's say you have a daughter. Mm hmm. And your daughter's a standout uh, uh, basketball player. Yeah. Right? No, well, when it comes to sports, I get it. It's okay. not fair uh, okay. for a biological male to compete on the same playing field but, but not, as a biological but, but, female. But not just competing. How about the media spotlight? Mm-hmm. Your daughter's the star of the team. Your daughter's the star of the league. And then all of a sudden, here comes this man that identifies and maybe started the treatment to become a, a woman. And thus, your your daughter is pushed to the side. When she has a limited shelf life of four years in college. At most. And, and, right. At most. At best. And this transgender athlete is now shining. So I have a tremendous problem with that. I have a lot of respect for Riley Gaines because she, she you know, she graduated. Right. She could say I'm done with this nonsense. It's someone else's headache. She's fighting a good fight. Now, if you live on the East Coast, uh, this issue has come here. As you mentioned, in New Jersey, Mawa, New Jersey, less than 30 miles from New York City. So you have this swimmer that goes by the name of Megan Cortez Fields, right? Broke another swimming record, transgender. Just recently, from the last couple of years, transferred from the men's team. 
<laughs> now, I- explain that to me, Mr. Morano. How do you compete as a man, you're average at best, and then you say, I'm a woman now, and you can compete on the women's team? How is that? Yeah, and no, it's the equivalent of putting uh, Shohei Otani in uh, the single-A minor leagues, and you'd see how he'd dominate that league right. as compared right. to everybody else that's right. there. It's, it's absurd. Right. It's absurd. Well, I want to pick your brain on a related issue, and it's in your backyard of Rockland County. Okay, Heated discussion 11 days ago at a Rockland County school board meeting after a vote to allow students to use bathrooms that best fit their gender identity. And tempers were flaring. And they should. At Clarkstown South High School as students and parents both testified. The school board voted in December to adopt the New York State Department of Education's recommendation policy that allows gender neutral restrooms and locker rooms. So there is nothing, at least according to what these folks were saying at the school board meeting, maybe the people pushing this policy have a different take on it. But their interpretation of this is there's nothing to stop you if you're the, you know, um, you're a senior male from just walking in to the women's locker room or the women's uh, bathroom at all. And you don't have to claim I'm a woman or anything like this. You can just go in there and use whatever gender, whatever locker room or restroom you want. Folks in Rockland are up in arms over this. And I wonder how prevalent this is going to be around the state. In fact, some high school students at this particular high school have actually reached out to me about wanting to come on the show to to talk about this. Curious, obviously, the folks that implemented this had to know there was going to be an outcry about this. Why did they push this after seeing the uproar in Virginia and everything that led to there? What's the benefit in pushing this in New York now? You want the honest answer? Yeah, give, me, give it to me. The honest answer is I'm a star. <coughs> Everybody loves controversy, mm-hmm. right? So before you were nobody, you push this issue. All of a sudden, you're somebody. All of a sudden, you're on Frank Morano's national radio show. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the television stations. All of a sudden, the newspapers. All of a sudden, uh, uh, the, everything that comes with that. Folks have their own agendas. That's the bottom line. But you can't infringe on my rights. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, Frank, you've got some perverts out here that will literally walk into a woman's uh, bathroom and 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 what and what what happens if if, if four women are in there um uh, uh changing, uh, right. changing well, well, that's changing. what these students were saying and, and, at the school board meeting. And like this swimmer, you know, I didn't want to say this and I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out the best way I can. Frank, we we're, we're entering some crazy times. There's a photo with this uh transgender person and three other female swimmers and he doesn't even try to hide his private part. So when you look at him at the bathing suit, his private part is bulging out and and he's got on the top a, like a bra, a swimming suit. And it's like, what are we looking at here? Yeah, I mean, I find this to be really uh, alarming, potentially. I mean, uh, and they're saying that this is basically uh, this was not required by the law. This is just their interpretation of this law that Governor Cuomo signed f- uh, five years ago. And, and I could see a lot of other school boards going the same direction around the state and having a similar battle all over the state. I think it's going to be really Frank, interesting. Frank, I'm, I'm going to say it again, and I want you to look at the photo. Please. Yeah. A photo of the four athletes, uh, including the transgender woman who just recently was on the men's swimming team. 
And I, I, I don't even know if he's, excuse me, if the transgender woman is trying to hide her private part. Because you look and it's bulging. Mm-hmm. And then you, and it's like, it's like, what am I looking at here? And then the, the, the transgender woman has on the top piece of the bathing suit. And I support the transgender community, but there's going to be a backlash to this. People are not oh, ready agree. for this. I completely agree. And I'm not against anybody. You know, I had, a, a, a I think, a non-binary person uh, in my home the other day. They were just as welcome as, as anybody else. I just think that we're going now, non, down. Non-binary. That means you don't identify I, I as a man so. or a woman. That's my understanding. Yeah. But uh, I think we're going down sort of a, a dangerous path in sports, in prison, and now in schools, because this Frank, is uh, not Frank, good news. Frank, how how could one identify as not a man or a woman? You got me. I, I, it's th- these are questions above my so pay grade. One, so one day you're a woman. No, I think if, you're if, always non-binary. I think. I, no, but, I, I did an event to be honest with you where mm-hmm. I was the MC, and they said, "Please keep in mind that she's non-binary." Right. <laughs> And then the night of the event, she said, never, they said, never mind, uh, introduce her as a female. Well, that's what I don't understand is, and I, and we, I, we actually have a fair number of transgender listeners. And if any of them want to call in, they're certainly welcome to 800-848-9222, because I am interested in learning about this, is I don't understand how you can change genders the way that you would change a political party. I mean, it's it should be One something day. that would be... I don't know, at least semi-permanent. Uh, but if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. Uh, let me tell you what's coming up. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Jeffrey Lichtman, uh, one of the most opinionated, passionate, fiery criminal defense He's attorneys good. in America. He's really good. He's certainly not boring. I'll tell you what. And, <laughs> and he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> that's that, that's for sure. But even if people disagree with him, he always finds a way to uh, make the conversation interesting. Uh, Dominic Carter, what do you say we do this again? And tomorrow or Fantastic. the next day. All Fantastic. Right. Thank you and have a great show. You too, my Don't friend. Keep me up all night listening to your show. No promises. Drive slow. 800 848 9222. Dominic Carter. 800 848 9222. Jeffrey Lickman will be here. And then we're the Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. The challenge in interviewing someone like Jeffrey Lickman is that eventually, no matter how long these interviews go, the time that we have together is finite. And yet his opinions and the things that he has opinions about are infinite. So the challenge then becomes almost like triage. How do you choose what to focus on when someone has a relatively well-informed opinion on everything and someone who's so compelling to listen to on the radio even his staunchest critics say I can't stand anything the guy says but he's just so engaging and so entertaining
entertaining. I can't stop listening. He is, if you're not familiar with him, a veteran criminal defense attorney, one of the best in the business. I've seen him in action, and he gets better with every criminal case. If you're a criminal and you have the money, definitely keep him high up on your speed dial. And he's also developed a whole new legion of fans that are not criminals, at least not all of them, as the host of Beyond the Legal Limit, a terrific podcast. Very pleased to welcome back to the program Jeffrey Lickman. Jeff, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks so much for having me on again, Frank. How was your uh, George Washington's birthday observed? Was Is that today? It was It was Monday, yeah. Monday, yeah. Um, I worked. <laughs> so, did, yeah. so did I. <laughs> Imagine that. I mean, I mean, you know, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. People that work for somebody else, that work for the man, they love this day. It's a big deal for them. It's an opportunity to sit home and sleep all day. People like me who actually pay the salaries, I worked all day. Uh, from the moment I woke up, uh, you know, all the way through the end of the day because I have to pay their bills. So I don't appreciate a day like this. It makes my life harder. I'm Sorry, sure I'm, I'm sure the heirs of George Washington are just devastated. Exactly. All right. Um, I want to pick your brain on a few items in the news that I'm curious about your opinion on. Uh, a few items I know your opinion on. But first, let me begin with this uh, story that you're involved in, a case that you're involved in that has gotten an enormous amount of attention, as so many of the cases that you're involved in tend to do. This ex-doctor is charged with manslaughter in a New York woman's suicide. Uh, people might have seen the article in the New York Times, but there's this former doctor, Stephen Miller, who's 85 years old. He's from Arizona, and he's now facing a manslaughter charge in New York for his role in the suicide of a woman who died in a Hudson Valley motel room in November. What is the story with this here? Um, I know he's pled not guilty. I know he was arraigned in Ulster County and uh, released on a a million dollars bond. Give us the latest uh, on this case, Jeff. What are the stakes here? Well, let me tell you, first thing is, although he was arrested in Arizona and released on bail there, he then voluntarily agreed to come to New York to face the charges there. And there was another bail uh, application that, that had to be made because the government refused to consent to bail, even though he had voluntarily shown up in court. So it was a terrifying uh, bail argument for me because if I lost, he surely would be dead before there was a trial. Mm. He's 85. He's not well. He weighs about 130 pounds. And the one week that he spent in jail in Arizona before I was representing him, he lost eight pounds. So it was a, a, a scary moment for me knowing that I wasn't playing on my home court. I'm up in uh, in Kingston, and uh, the government is asking for detention. And it was a close one, and I was terrified. If I lost, he's dead. But we prevailed. And, and I would say that it was about as ugly and bloody of a bail hearing as I've had in years. I mean, I just mauled the prosecutor because I was angry. I mean, how can you suggest that the man is a flight risk when he voluntarily right. flew from Arizona to New York for that appearance? Um And then today, what I can report is we received an offer of a no-jail disposition on the case. Oh, well, so now, is this doctor, Dr. Stephen Miller, is he like a Dr. Kevorkian type that participates in these physician-assisted suicides all the time and on some high ethical ground? Um, You know, look, Kevorkian really thumbed his... his, uh, 
is in the eye of, of the man, so to speak, by saying, I'm going to do it. I don't care that it's illegal. I'm going to keep doing it until you put me in jail forever. Miller's not like that. He belongs to uh, an advocacy group in Arizona, a death with dignity type of group where they look at many states in the country and soon it'll be New York allow for people that are very ill uh, to take their own lives instead of having to suffer and burden their families and have a miserable last 15 or 20 years of their lives or have dementia and they're never going to get better. I mean, this is uh, the way many civilized uh, parts of the world, including a lot of Europe, not to suggest they're more civilized than us, um, but eventually it'll be the law in New York. He's done this a few times. Uh, I don't believe that he was assisting in the suicide here. I think he was really just providing uh, counseling. Um, it's different than you know actually helping somebody kill themselves. Um, but it's a close call in New York. You know, I look at Ulster County, and it's not the same as New York City. Mm-hmm. It's not as uh, as liberal, as progressive, so to speak, where people might have a little more patience for that type of behavior. They may not have it in in Kingston. So. We were, you know, pretty over the moon today to find out that they were seeking suddenly uh, no jail when just a matter of days ago they were seeking to have him detained, which would have surely killed him. So it's an odd uh, change of uh, of plans very quickly for the government, but I'm happy that it's going to work out. Absolutely. Well, con- congratulations. And as you said, it seems like just a, a matter of time before it's the law in New York that you can have physician-assisted suicide. So it seems like such a, a questionable use of prosecutorial discretion to use the resources of the uh, prosecution on this one 85-year-old doctor. Seems like a, a real shame. But uh, again... And you know but- what, Frank? If, if I can just add, it really does say positive things about the district attorney's office up there. Because they felt they had to prosecute this. Uh, you know, look, you can't just have people running around helping people kill themselves. So I understand why they brought the case and the fact that they could see the larger picture and realize that he didn't need to die in prison. Mm. It really does say a lot about the fairness in that office. And frankly, I was stunned. Well, that's so uh, there's, terrific. There's, that's something. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Jeffrey Lickman. You could check him out regularly on the Beyond the Legal Limit podcast. Let me ask you about another case that you're involved in. And this has to do with skunk spray. There were thousands that were protesting outside of Columbia University against the campus treatment of pro-Palestinian groups. This was a rally led by a uh, pro-Hamas group called Within Our Lifetime, which has openly endorsed and celebrated October 7th. We're not talking about a group that says Israel's gone too far or Palestinians have a right to exist, just don't kill any innocent uh, innocent uh, c- civilians. They have openly celebrated what went on on October 7th. You're representing one of the students who's accused of releasing a skunk spray at this Hamas rally on campus. What can you tell us about this case, Jeff? First of all, it was an illegal Hamas rally. The groups that uh, that led it were banned from campus. But, you know, as Palestinian and terrorist supporters, they don't care. American laws don't mean anything to them. School laws don't mean anything to them. All that matters to them is kill the Jew. And that's exactly what they were doing at this um, rally, was calling for the destruction of Israel and the genocide of Jews. So uh, it's alleged that my client and another person uh, released, I think it was described by the victims, and of course these are pro-Hamas people, which means they have to lie about everything. If you're willing to lie about the Holocaust, 
if you're willing to lie about what happened on October 7th, where they say that no civilians in Israel were killed, you're certainly going to lie about what happened when supposedly some smelly spray was sprayed near you outside. Uh, one of the terrorist supporters said that uh, it was an endocrine disruptor. It was a bioweapon. It was a chemical weapon, you know, basically making things up. And they, until they're stopped, the Palestinian supporters, they're just going to keep lying. And the lies are going to get bigger. So there has been no arrests. Um, uh, Our clients have been uh, basically told to stay away from campus. I can tell you this, Frank, I'm waiting for the criminal charge. Mm -hmm. Because if there is a criminal charge, and I would say this to Alvin Bragg, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose bad, and you're going to get embarrassed. But there, there will not be a victory in that case. The case is ridiculous and stupid. And Columbia has let these types of violent, and there have been much violence against Jews on campus. Columbia is one of the worst, most anti-Semitic uh, schools in the country, and it's been that way for decades. They let these people in. They don't come to the school to learn. They come to you know, advocate for Hamas, for terrorism. And, and just so— and it's a disgrace that it's so, close to, it's so close to ground zero when we're letting this happen. Just so I'm clear, how exactly did this student r- retain you? Did he retain you under the uh, assumption that he would be charged with a crime? Was he arrested before being charged? How did Hasn't he come— Hasn't been charged. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been charged, but, you know, you've But got, was he arrested? Uh, how did he know to get a criminal defense arrested. attorney? The school, um, you know, basically said that they were bringing uh, charges against him, school charges. There was discussions in the media that the NYPD were investigating. He came to me. I was happy to represent him. I'm proud to represent him. And, um, you know, look, you know, these terrorists think they can do this in New York and they can get away with it. You know, just as I said, so close to ground zero, they can call for the destruction of America, the destruction of, of Israel. And the reason they can get away with it is because there are so many leftists in this disgusting city that we call our home, and they allow this stuff to happen. I can tell you this. If there's criminal charges, they're not going to have that anymore. They're going to have to face me, and I'm telling you, it is gonna be, it's going to be an ugly bloodbath. Uh, I, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Um, uh, let me pick your brain on the election. Obviously, it, really, we're coming into the home stretch now. It seems like this campaign's been going on for eight years, and in many respects it has. But uh, now it looks like the Republicans, I know Nikki Haley's still in the race, but it look, looks like uh, Trump is the nominee. Biden uh, will come back to his recent issues in a second. But at this point, he doesn't seem to be facing any serious opposition for the Democratic nomination. You were uh, a critic of a lot of different things about Trump. But, you you know, you've praised him for uh, all sorts of other things, uh, killing um, Soleimani and a number of other items, both while he was president and, uh, you know, and since then. Where do you see this election going at this point as an analyst, as somebody that follows uh, political uh, races pretty closely and has a pretty good track record of predicting them? Where do you see this going? You know, it's almost impossible to think that Joe Biden could have won in 2020. It's almost impossible to think that somebody who was such a failed president who has basically destroyed our country by letting in millions and millions of illegals into the country. You know, Frank, there's been... I think I read 20,000 Chinese nationals that have come into America from October to now. There were 450 in the year 2022, and there was just 20,000 in the past few months. These people 
are not coming from Mexico because they live there. They're being shipped here to come into our country because our administration, our president, is keeping the front door open, the back door open, all the doors open. These Chinese are not here out of goodwill. They're spies. You've got terrorists. You've got single adult males from every Muslim terror state that exists that's coming into this country. How Joe Biden can even have a chance to win this election is, is completely puke-worthy to anybody with a brain. But I'm afraid, and I do believe, that Donald Trump is exactly the guy that lost the last election and is going to lose this one as well. And part of it, it forget the fact that he's unstable and the things that come out of his mouth are frankly idiotic. And we have all these major issues going on the last couple of days. And he's selling gold sneakers at SneakerCon. I mean, this is not a serious guy, and we really need serious people right now. But, you know, the, the thing that you asked me is where do I think this is going right. to go? Uh, yeah, as Rumsfeld used to say, you go to war with the army you got, not the one you wish you yeah. had. So these are the candidates we have. Where does the election go? You know, I think that Trump is going to lose, and, and it's, it's horrifying to me because, you know, I think that we really can't afford another four years of 10, 15 million illegals into the country. And one of the reasons I think he's going to lose, and I thought that he would lose, is because of these uh, criminal and civil trials that he's got lined up. He's got one now starting in, what, a month, and it's going to last six weeks? He's got to sit there for all of six weeks while this goes on, while there's jury deliberations, uh, while there's uh, jury selection, which is going to take forever. And instead of campaigning, He's going to be sitting in a courtroom on a, frankly, a ridiculous criminal case that should never have been brought. And this is the kind of stuff, and I would say to the Trump supporters that are listening, and I know there's many, you know, this is not going to cause independents to vote for Trump. They're going to be disgusted by some of the stuff they hear. Uh, certainly his behavior has, has been erratic of late. I mean, look, Frank, respectfully, He's got a lawyer that represented him on the E. Jean Carroll case, who I'm certain has never tried a federal case in her life. She's an absolute jawbone of an ass, this uh, Helena Baba. She's an idiot. But this says something about his, his judgment. Who on earth would hire a woman like that, an idiot like that, to represent him? She lost every single thing, $85 million. Frank, I can tell you this. I was in front of Judge Kaplan a couple days after that guy treated me couldn't have been nicer to me i have no <laughs> doubt that if i was representing trump instead of 83 million it would have been 10 million and instead that's why he's selling sneakers so that's why he's begging for money it's distracting and he's not going to be able to leave the country or even give himself a fair chance to win the election because he's just going to be in court fighting that's why we needed somebody different so let's talk about these trump civil judgments from a legal rather than a political perspective for a second help folks understand so he's got this 355 million dollar judgment uh from the letitia james suit from uh, judge engeron because he supposedly inflated the value of his properties he's got the 85 million dollar defamation judgment against uh you know eugene carroll just in terms of the mechanics of this, how much does he have to pay and when? I've seen a lot of different things in the media that he's got to have get a bond, uh, that he's got to pay a great deal within 30 days. He's got he to doesn't put some... have the money. So let's, if he doesn't have the money, clear. what happens? What happens? He's, he's going to have to bond it. And he's first of all, it's, it's whatever the money amount is, it's 355 plus the 85, I guess. Um, he's got 9% interest on some of that 355 going back to 2019. It's more like $450 million 
plus the $85 million. He's going to have to get someone to bond it. He's going to have to put up either properties or cash. Um, I mean, this is a disaster if he loses. And look, I hate Trump. Okay, let me just say this. I hate Trump. I hate him. I can't stand him. And the reason I can't stand him is because I knew that he was going to lose in 2020 because he wasn't focused enough. He wasted the four years. And I'm convinced he's going to lose again. That's the main reason why I hate him is because he's allowing Joe Biden, perhaps not that Joe Biden's going to live for two full terms, but he's allowing the Democrats, the leftists, to destroy the country. But what's happened to him? Well, that's a similar argument to what Nikki, Nikki Haley has been has made. Just exactly well, what please, you said. Well, but, I hate <laughs> the thought of being in the same boat as her. I can tell you this: it's not fair. And I and I'll say this: Did he break the law? Yes. Did he break the law? Yes. You know who also broke the law? How about how about uh, Bill Clinton when he said under oath that he didn't have sex with that woman? Mm-hmm. Okay, that was perjury. You don't have to charge everybody with every possible crime just because you can. There is a thing called prosecutorial uh, discretion, and that's what they did. Uh, Clinton was not charged criminally. He was open and shut, finished criminally. He had no leg to stand on with that answer. But the the, the wisdom prevailed. And with regard to Trump, look. <laughs> This case in New York is a joke. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. He was getting extorted by these women, and he had to pay them off. And then instead of writing in his, in his uh, records, pay off to whores, he said that he was uh, paying back Michael Cohn uh, for legal fees. You know what, Frank? With all respect, I can't stand Trump. This is an evil political trial, period. That's it. There's no, there's no two ways about it. But- and it's going to tie him up for six weeks. When he should be campaigning, it is election interference, and I know that he broke the law. But you can't tell me, well, he broke the law, therefore he has to go to trial. No, it's not how it works. Not every case is indicted. But, Jeffrey, understanding the um, the situation in that Alvin Bragg case and understanding he may not be able to come up with uh, that kind of money, uh, and I know he says he's going to appeal the judgment in the Engoran case. What does that mean? When would an appeal be heard, and how much – is it likely that he could see the size of that judgment reduced? I think that there's a decent chance, but it could take years for this appeal to be heard. Um, you know, it could take – you know, that's not the point of the case. The case was brought to to hobble Trump uh, for the election cycle. Two years from now, when this thing is decided, no one's going to care anymore. It's going to be over because the damage that was intended has been inflicted. Um, I do think that uh, the judgment was too high. Um, I understand what he did was illegal. Uh, just because other people do it doesn't make it right. It was illegal. This is how Trump does business. He cheats and, and steals every opportunity he can, like many other people that are in business. Uh, but to charge him the way they did was absolutely political. You would have to be blind to, to suggest otherwise. And I can't stand Trump. But the truth is, it's unfair. The same thing with the case in, in Georgia. Now, look, the case in Florida, again, he's guilty. Did they have to bring it? You know what? In that case, he kept on abusing the prosecutors. They were subpoenaing him. He was not responding. They gave him every opportunity uh, to respond. He refused to give the records back. That one, I can at least say, is probably a fair trial. The one in D.C. is a joke. You know, come on, give me a break. Uh, You know, the insurrection. Charge the guy with insurrection. Charge him with treason. Charge him with sedition. Don't do this BS because you just want to tie him up. The one in Atlanta? Are you kidding me? Look, 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 look what they put on the stand, that slop. That Fannie Willis, who walks in 
while her prosecutor, while somebody on her team is arguing to keep her off the stand, she walks in with her dress, her pink dress on backwards and says, mm, mm, mm. I'm going to testify because you're lying on me. First of all, she can barely speak English. She doesn't know the law. She said that she's not a hostile witness when all she did was fight every single question. She doesn't even understand what that means. She does, she's been to Belize, but she doesn't know which side of the planet that it's on. Frank, listen, you get into a plane and you fly for three hours. I'm going to tell you, Fanny, that means you are not in Australia. That means you are not in Africa. Okay, that means you're probably pretty close to home. So, Jeff, a lot this of is folks. The level of stupidity. It, she doesn't have checks. Frank, listen, if you are a district attorney in this great country, there aren't that many, and you're the DA of one of the, the biggest counties in the country, I think that at a bare minimum, you should have to have a check. A check. She doesn't even have a checking account. She keeps cash. No, that's the way we do it. That's the way my daddy. Are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. It's an affront to anybody with a brain in their head. This is disgusting slop that brought the case against him. So, Jeff, a, a lot right. of folks. And she slept. And she slept with the prosecutor who's never even done a RICO case in his life. He's a jawbone of an ass, too. Look at him. He just sits there with a blank look in his face staring into, into the ethers. And this is the guy that's prosecuting the case? Are you freaking kidding me? It's not right. Liberals, what I'll say to you is this. You can hate Trump all you want, but you have to love America more. I love America more, and I hate Trump as much as anybody. Jeff, last question about this, because I want to make sure I can ask you about the – we have time to go into the Middle East. But the last question about this Georgia situation is a lot of folks said even if she's removed from the case, even if Nathan Wade is removed as the special prosecutor, the charged conduct can still go to trial. How do you see that playing out from a, a criminal defense perspective? Do you see this being tried in another jurisdiction? Do you see another special prosecutor being brought in or do you see this whole case going away i think the case very well may go away you cannot find two bigger idiots than this wade and this what you're talking about willis you cannot possibly find people (laughs) that are this stupid the two of them together (laughs) the guy the guy's a slip and fall lawyer and all of a sudden he's doing criminal rico cases and what was most distressing to me was watching the cross-examination of willis and the lawyer the, 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 the woman lawyer couldn't ask a, a leading question. Finally, the judge says, if you want her to answer, ask a leading question. I guess when you spend all your time on Instagram promoting your law firm as opposed to actually learning how to ask questions, you forget that when you're cross-examining a witness, you're allowed to lead. This is it's very frustrating. You know, it's interesting. I've seen you in a couple of Rico cases and uh, I've seen your adversaries in those cases. I don't remember them ever bringing in a a lawyer of Nathan Wade's specialty and experience to face off against you as the special prosecutor in any of those cases, which was uh, which was interesting. I get 10 Harvard lawyers (laughs) every case. You know what? Doesn't make a difference. You can have 20 of them and won't make a difference. Um, Okay, the uh, the her report, the special counsel in uh, the case of Biden. Putting aside his conclusion, which has obviously generated the most attention that uh, they one of the reasons they weren't going to bring charges is because Biden would come across to the jury as a well-intentioned old man with memory problems or elderly man with memory problems. He did lay out a couple of very serious transgressions, including him talking to the ghostwriter, meaning Biden talking to the ghostwriter, acknowledging the classified material is downstairs. What were your key takeaways with this her report? 
Jeff, and the uh, conduct that her outlined on the part of Biden? Well, compare this to Donald Trump. Uh, the the report said that Biden committed crimes, but we're going to exercise prosecutorial uh, our judgment, our discretion, and not charge Biden because he's an old man, old feeble man. And of course, the the Democrats are saying, "Oh, this is a Trump appointee, and this is all politics." No, he actually criticized Trump and said the reason why Trump was charged in the missing documents case is because he flouted. Uh, the prosecutors, and that Biden actually sat down and spoke to him. So it was a completely fair uh, report. In fact, they should have charged Biden. But this is what the Democrats do. It's the law. It's the law. And if Trump broke the law, then he has to be charged like the rest of us, except Joe Biden, who the special counsel said broke the law, and we're going to give him a pass. It's a disgrace. This is what we've done. We've allowed America to, to fall into the hands of leftists. We let the schools go to the hands of leftists, which is why, you know, two thirds of of people under the age of 30 support Hamas over Israel. Half of them think that the Holocaust was a hoax. You give the schools to the leftists. This is what they do. You give the justice system to the leftists. There is going to be two types of laws, one for the left and the hard stuff for the right. This is what it is. This is why I don't associate with liberals anymore. It used to be a joke, Frank. I don't like liberals because they're idiots, because they're, they're disgusting. They're progressive jackasses. No, they're the ones responsible for destroying our country. I want nothing to do with you. All right. Um, that's it. We also saw charges for this uh, former FBI informant, Alexander Smirnov, who claimed that the Bidens were bribed $5 million each. And this was uh, part of the linchpin of the House Republican impeachment attempt against Biden. I, I, you know, one of the things that's really troubled me since I started paying attention to this stuff is how little oversight there is of FBI informants and cooperating witnesses. And the kind of things they do. I mean, the rare thing about this is not that the guy was lying, but that he actually managed to get charged with a crime here. Do you think this case, uh, putting aside what you may think of the Bidens, do you think this case is an example that maybe these informants have been emboldened because of how the FBI treats them? Well, look, I mean, if you if you work with the government on a case, uh, they'll look past a lot of stuff. The only time uh, they get angry at you about lying is when you get caught and they have to turn it over to the defense. I and mean, I've been cross-examining these garbage people for, for decades now. So, of course, they finally charge one for lying, but the only reason they did it uh, was to protect Joe Biden. God forbid they would do it in a case. I mean, I've caught how many, every witness that I cross-examined in Gotti, every witness that I cross-examined in Chapo, they were all caught lying. Was any of them charged? Of course not. Yeah. Uh, All right. The Middle East situation. Uh, We're seeing the um, uh, Tony Blinken say that uh, he wants to pursue uh, a two state solution. We're hearing that uh, Joe Biden and his administration is getting frustrated at Netanyahu's conduct of the war. Uh, We're hearing uh, ongoing negotiations for release of hostages and a ceasefire that don't seem to be going anywhere. How do you view the situation in Gaza at the moment? Where do you see it going? Well, not surprisingly, uh, Biden sold out Israel. It didn't take too long. But they're calling for a two-state solution. They're calling for Israel to not go into Rafah to actually finish Hamas off. I have a question, Frank. Two-state solution. One is Israel. The other one is this terrorist dump that is going to be run by who? Well, Hamas. Why Hamas? Because Joe Biden doesn't want Israel to finish off Hamas in Rafah. 
So if Hamas is left, they've said, as soon as we have an opportunity again, there's going to be many more October 7s. So how do you have a two-state solution when Hamas is permitted to stand? How do you have Israel withdrawing right now when Hamas is, is continue to stand, when they know there's going to be more October 7th? And Israel wanted to put a barrier inside Gaza, like a, a security area, that would be a, a decent-sized area to prevent another October 7th. Biden said today, no, you got to put that in Israel, not in Gaza. So the, the entity that attacks Israel, massacres 1,200 people, rapes, burns, decapitates, steals babies after killing their parents, they're allowed to keep all their land, and the victim has to lose land because they have to protect themselves? If you're a Jew in America and you vote Democratic, I'd like to punch you in your face. Call me up. Come to my office. I will punch you in your face because you deserve it, because you're a capo. Anybody who could support this slop, I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful. Israel should be able to go in, finish it off. It could end, Frank, with not a single poor Palestinian being harmed. Hamas could have surrendered on October 7th. They could have not taken any hostages. They care so much about Palestinians with the crocodile tears now that they hid among the civilians because that was their only military tactic they can't fight israel evenly so what they do is they say look kill every one of these people that you can we're going to hide behind them and eventually eventually the useful idiots of the world will say israel you've got to stop this genocide meanwhile israel's saying what are we supposed to do we can't just flatten the place because you'll all cry we're trying to kill as many hamas as we can and not kill individuals we're giving them warnings we're giving them every opportunity meanwhile half the people killed are you know allegedly uh, civilians. But you know who was in on October 7th, Frank? Not just Hamas. Children, civilians. Even after all the destruction of Gaza, 80%, 85% of Gazans support Hamas. These are sick people. 98% of them in polls are anti-Semitic. This is not some kind of clean, decent people. These are satanic people that want to kill Jews. Ask them. Where is the big uprising against Hamas? They allowed Hamas to destroy their homes. Where's the uprising? Where's the Arab Spring? Doesn't exist in Gaza because they're all Hamas. Jeffrey, as uh, as unfortunately always happens whenever we talk, we are out of time. I want to thank you for the uh, the very candid conversation. The next time we get you on the program, we're hoping to really get you to open up a little bit and not be so restrained in your commentary. Let's talk again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. I really appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 1-800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. If you are a criminal in need of representation, you can go to jeffreylichtman.com. Just a note that uh, Washington's birthday might affect the office hours that are listed on the website. Be aware of that. If you just want to listen to the podcast, you can go to beyondthelegallimit.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This, of course, is Bon Jovi singing Living on a Prayer. This is a birthday bumper music selection after a fashion by uh, my friend Carmine Ramundi, a friend of mine for many years, uh, whose birthday is today. And he suggested that maybe we could play songs from the Billboard Top Ten from the week that he was born. And he was born in uh, f- on February 20th of 1987. And this was the number one song in the country at that time. So happy birthday to Carmine Raimundi, a wonderful guy and uh, someone who is certainly deserving of having all of his wishes come true. Happy birthday, Carmine. Not the namesake of uh, my son, but they're both great names, right? All right. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation uh, or anything that we've touched upon this hour, 800-848-9222. You know, I was kicking myself because yet my wife's always cautioning me that I let my water bottle go too long without being washed. I keep one water bottle here at work and another water bottle at home. And she cautions me about both. She believes that not washing them frequently enough leads to mold on, you know, on and in the water bottle. So it had been a few weeks since my water bottle here at work was was washed. So I brought it home yesterday after the show. I figured, okay, maybe it's due for a washing. And, of course, you know the rest of the story, right? I left it at home, which which kills me because this was a 40-ounce water bottle. And that means at most, at most, if I fill it at the top of the show, I have to fill it maybe once throughout the show. What? Maybe once. A lot of A lot of days I don't have to fill it at all. But I had no – so with no water bottle today, they do have – a lot of these little water bottles because there was an event here at the radio station yesterday, but they're these little mini eight ounce water bottles. I have to tell you, I hate these eight ounce water bottles. My wife is tired of hearing me rail against them because I feel like you're almost drinking water out of a shot glass. So what what I've done is I, I grabbed right before the show, one, two, three, four, four of these little eight ounce water bottles. I figure, okay, that's uh, that at least tied me over for a little while. Two of them are gone already. I'm now on my third, and I'm now I'm, I may have to stock up with a bunch more of these. But that's what I get for forgetting my water bottle at home. There are worse things. This certainly falls into the category of first world problems. So um, let this be a warning to you. If you have a water bottle that you have taken home to clean. Do something, tie a string around your finger or something to make sure you remind yourself to bring that water bottle back to work. If my wife is listening to the podcast of this program, I would appreciate it if you could remind me to bring the water bottle to work tomorrow. I'm actually going to email myself. I like sending a lot of these timed emails. I'm going to email myself a reminder tomorrow to bring the water bottle to work. All right. 800-848-9222. Four open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222. We're also on Twitter at Frank Morano. Yes, much like Stephen King, I still call it Twitter. And you can email me. We're going to go read through your emails in just a bit. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. I'm already getting quite a divided verdict 
uh, which is not at all unexpected, to my interview with Jeffrey Lickman. Some people saying he's the greatest. Some people saying he's the worst. One of the two. And, um, you know, that's to me what radio is all about. Having controversial people on, letting people hear all points of view and uh, come to their own conclusion about what they think is, you know, what they think is interesting and what they think the truth is. I'd say whatever you want to say about Jeffrey, you can't say he's not entertaining. He absolutely is. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group. Uh, just find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Uh, no more guests for the rest of the program. So there'll be plenty of time for your phone calls throughout the program. And uh, I have quite a bit to get off my chest. I have been stockpiling different subjects that I've wanted to bring to your attention, but we haven't really had the time. Today, we will get to as many of them as we possibly can. Meantime, in the words of the great Bob Barker, who we certainly miss, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I like about the holiday they call President's Day is because it's an opportunity to look at presidential history. One of the things I did, if you didn't get to hear yesterday's show, was we played a little presidential trivia, which is just, I I find it so much fun. And I I found myself, uh, different people were emailing me presidential trivia questions. Jeffrey Lyons sent me, I think, 20 Really interesting presidential trivia questions. Some of them pertain just to him because he's led such an interesting life. But a lot of people were sending me different presidential trivia questions. Some I knew, some I didn't. And it causes me to go down this rabbit hole and just spend – I didn't have the time yesterday, but if I was left to my own devices, I would spend hours just researching – presidential history and researching primary sources, secondary sources, commentary on the primary sources. I'm just so into it. I'm such a geek with this stuff. I don't pretend to be an expert at all. I'm not an expert. I'm just somebody that has an interest in this stuff. So one of the things they usually do every President's Day is what they did yesterday. They release a presidential historian's survey ranking where all the presidents come down. And in this new survey that was released yesterday, they ranked President Biden for the first time as the 14th best president in American history. And they put former President Trump last. Now, before I tell you more about this survey, I will just say that I don't believe Trump or Biden or Obama, for that matter, who ranked seventh on this list. I don't believe Trump, Biden, or Obama should appear on this list at all, not because they were the greatest presidents or the worst. I think they're too recent. 
I th- and especially in the case of Biden, he's the president now. I think if you're you can't view history through the same prism as current events. So I enjoy uh, chatting about presidential competency and the presidency. And, you know, a lot of times I'll end up at a bar or a party and this subject will come up and somebody will ask me, hey, who's the best president of all time? Or who's the worst president of all time? And I'll give my answers, but I always give the disclaimer. I'll answer your question, but I don't believe you can rank any president that's been president for the last 20 to 25 years. Because I think that two things occur. One, we know how George Washington's decisions played out, right? We know the impact of his presidency on everybody that came after him. We know largely how Abraham Lincoln's decisions played out. We saw what happened 10 years after he made those decisions, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. We saw the impact of those decisions on American history. When it comes to recent presidents, there is no way to know what the impact the decisions they're making will have. I think maybe now we're at the point because it's been 25 years since he was president where you can evaluate Bill Clinton's presidency fairly and through the prism of history. But I think honestly, anything more recent than 25 years, you're not reviewing history. You're reviewing current events and you're using the, uh, you're using these historical rankings to place modern day politicians on the same plane as people like FDR and John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. And it just makes no sense to do that. So I got, I always get very upset whenever these lists include any modern president. And it could be presidents that I like or presidents that I, I dislike. So this tally came from 154 presidential specialists who are current and recent members of the American Political Science Association. Now, I looked up the American Political Science Association. I figured, what is it? It looks like it's an organization that just about anybody can join. So I I, I think you just have to pay. I wasn't going to pay because, you know, I'm a little, a little short on cash at the moment. But I don't know how they picked 154 presidential scholars to survey based on the based on their membership in this organization. So I don't know how these presidential scholars were confirmed. I'd like to do my own survey of presidential scholars. I'd like to take 30 and maybe I'll do this maybe for next year. I'd like to take, you know, 30 or 40 historians that I really respect people like uh, Lindsay Shravinsky, who was on this program yesterday, people like David Pietruzza and others. And, Get them to rank who they think is the best and who they think is the worst. Anyway, this tally came from 154 presidential specialists who are current and recent members of this American Political Science Association. And they were asked to give every president a score from zero to 100. Who do you think topped the list? Guy who frequently tops many of these lists. I don't agree with this at all. But um, the guy that topped the list with an average score of 95 was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, 95. President Biden scored an average of 62.66, putting him two spots above Ronald Reagan. President Trump averaged just 11 points. What was interesting about this survey is 
they you know they ask people if you're the historian ranking if you're democrat or republican and the republican historians actually gave much higher marks to bill clinton than the democratic historians did isn't that interesting so lincoln was number 1 FDR was number two, and George Washington was number three. I have to say, how is George Washington not number one on every list? Now, not to repeat everything that I talked about with Lindsey Shervinsky yesterday, but without George Washington, the whole idea of presidents serving two terms wouldn't exist. The whole idea of a cabinet probably wouldn't exist. I don't even know, I mean, if if we would have made it this far without his example of voluntarily leaving power and the peaceful transition of power, which was a very relatively new concept among republics and democracies at the time, which, by the way, the whole concept of non-ancient republics was a relatively new concept back in the 1780s. So I don't know how you don't put Washington number one. I, I have, I have um, admittedly out-of-the-box views when it comes to Lincoln. I recognize um, people give high marks to Lincoln for preserving the Union and for his role in winning the Civil War, which led to the end of slavery. But I have a tough time squaring that with doing away with habeas corpus, with um, jailing newspaper editors um, and, you know, basically doing taking a shredder to the Bill of Rights. To me, and I recognize, you know, the good there's good and bad with every president. But I think that's got to count against you. I would not be giving him a score of 95. I'll tell you that. At what point when you're president, you take an oath to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution. When you're basically crossing out items in the Bill of Rights that you don't want to enforce or you don't want to respect, I really don't know how you can rank as the greatest president in history when, in my view, it's a clear violation of your oath. But my views on Lincoln are in the not just the minority, the ultra, ultra minority. So I'm aware of that. I have no interest in debating Lincoln's legacy with you. Uh Theodore Roosevelt was number four. Thomas Jefferson was number five. Harry Truman was number six. And and honestly, and, and I'm not an Obama basher like a lot of people on the radio, but President Obama was number seven. Okay, how can President Obama be number seven? Of all 45 individuals that have been president, how can Obama be seventh? Really? I mean, really? Uh, whether it's on the foreign stage where, you know, I think you'd have to give him very low marks for his handling of ISIS. I think you'd have to give him very low marks for his handling of Afghanistan. I think you'd have to give him very low marks for his handling of Libya. How can he be? And then on the domestic front, I mean, I, I don't know. His signature accomplishment was Obamacare, which was largely eviscerated by his successor. So I'm not saying he should be in the bottom five or anything like that. How do you rank him as the seventh greatest president in history over people like General Eisenhower? I mean, to me, it's just absurd. Absolutely absurd. But whatever. Um, Eisenhower was number eight. Lyndon Johnson was number nine. And John F. Kennedy 
was uh, number 10. So there you go. You uh, can check out the the rankings for yourself. I'm going to link to them if you want to check them out on uh, my Facebook page. You can see where all 45 presidents ranked. I think this is a, a list that, um, you know, look, they say opinions are not worth the paper they're printed on. I think this is a bizarre ranking for a whole bunch of reasons. All right. Uh, oh, posts that look like spam, according to our community guidelines, are blocked on Facebook and can't be edited. So I tried to link to this thing, and it says it looks like spam. Well, it's not spam. All right. Well, I'll, I'll share an article on it, and if you want to go and um, link to it yourself or examine the results yourself, be, by all means, check it out. Hey, um, I'm going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. However, lastly, on the presidential history front, two of the people that I just mentioned were in the news yesterday. President Biden, number 14 on the list, and President Lincoln, number one on the list. This is really interesting. I love stories like this. We learned yesterday, at least I learned, as reported by the Washington Post, that President Biden's great-great-grandfather received a pardon from President Lincoln, according to newly discovered documents in the National Archives. Biden's relative, his great-great-grandfather, Moses J. Robinette, isn't that interesting? Because Biden's, President Biden's middle name is Robinette. So clearly he was named for this family name years ago. But anyway, Biden's ancestor, Moses J. Robinette, got into a fight with another Union Army civilian employee while camped along the uh, along the Rappahannock River, uh, Rappahannock River, excuse me, near Beverly Ford, Virginia, as the Civil War raged on. On March 12th, 1864, according to documents reviewed by The Washington Post, the fight left the other man, John J. Alexander, bleeding from knife wounds and Robinette. Biden's great great grandfather was charged with attempted murder and was incarcerated near Florida. Three of Robinette's friends were officers in the Union Army and they petitioned Lincoln directly to overturn the sentence. They argued that Robinette's sentence was overly harsh for defending himself and cutting with a pen, a pen knife, a teamster, much his superior in strength and size, all under the impulse of the excitement of the moment. They went on to say that Robinette was a true and faithful supporter of the union and had opposed traitors and their schemes to destroy the government. Um, this is what they wrote to President Lincoln. Think of his motherless daughters and sons at home praying for your interposition in behalf of the unfortunate father and distressed family of loved children, union daughters and union sons. The petition first arrived at the desk of West Virginia Senator Waitman Willie, who endorsed it and sent the request along to the White House. And after a presidential review of the case, Lincoln agreed with the request and pardoned Robinette. And he was pardoned September 1st, 1864. And isn't that interesting? He went on, this gentleman that was pardoned, he went on to live until 1903, lived another 40 years. Can you imagine 
how different life would have been and how different history would have been if Lincoln hadn't pardoned him. Who knows? Who knows what that led to on the part of how he raised his daughters, not being in jail. These daughters might have ended up, uh, I don't know, in orphanages somewhere. And uh, Biden's other ancestors, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, might never have existed or might have been different people. I I just love that, how when you look at American history or any kind of history, one decision going in a different direction could change the course of everything. You know, when we you study time travel and paradoxes, they call that the butterfly effect. But uh, now I guess we see why Biden likes Lincoln so much. You go to the Biden White House these days, there's busts of Lincoln, there's portraits of Lincoln. Lincoln's all over the place. Now we see why. Apparently, uh, Biden did not, the White House did not comment as to whether or not Biden was aware of this incident in his family history. I would think he'd have to be. Honestly, I would think somebody told him about it, if not before he was president or vice president, at some point along the line. I think so. All right, 800-848-9222. We're going to go read through your mail correspondence. You can email me. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. Let me begin with Linda on Long Island. Hi, Linda. Hi, Frank. I was really impressed tonight. Uh, that interview was really good. I was I had heard him, you know, in the past, and I'm conservative, but not crazy conservative. Um, but I didn't like him at all. I, I didn't agree with anything he said in the past. Tonight, I was shocked. I mean, I, I, uh, is there a way, you know, you could contact, you can speak to him naturally. Could you ask him why? It it would be a good idea. He's a good lawyer. How about he calls, um, contacts, um, you know, the Trump uh, people and um, take the, um, uh, that ridiculous, um, what's her name again? Fanny, 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 Fanny um, suit in uh, Georgia and, why doesn't he do it? Why well, doesn't he? He would do a good job. Well, I mean, Jeffrey's a great lawyer, but there's one thing yeah. I can tell you about Jeffrey, and I've known many of his clients over the years. The one thing that Jeffrey likes more than anything in a client is one that pays his bills. And, um, you know, President Trump, honestly, doesn't have the best track record of paying his lawyers. So I can tell you, knowing where Jeffrey is on that and knowing where President Trump is, I don't think I don't see any scenario in which that happens. And as you heard him, he has a very strong personal dislike for Trump. So I don't see Trump um, hiring somebody that has been so outspoken about not liking him. But I'm glad you enjoyed the interview, Linda. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Frank, I have three things to say. First, you can make an argument. Yeah, yeah, quickly. Uh, You can make an argument that Lincoln of the first 35 was the worst president, based on results and and what he did. Uh, I could make an argument at length for that. So I agree with you on that. On the interview, very enjoyable listen, very fun guy to listen to. But one thing he said about he could have got $10 in the case, meaning it was a better article are arguable for Trump, uh, but that case, nobody has been assaulted in any department store by anybody in the history of Manhattan. Yes, clubs, yes, bars, 
you know, that's you know, that's an indication of just how corrupt the courts are that that held through any court system in Manhattan. And then the idea that either Biden or Trump, I would handicap the chance of Biden being on the ballot at zero percent in November, Trump at ten percent. Really? You know, as yeah. How come? Yeah, I'm I would, curious. I mean, I, look, I, well, I, well, I, I understand I the Biden that, front, but uh, why on the Trump front only ten percent? I just think there's so many different factors working against him. I think they're just going to come in with another candidate. You know. Uh, there's just so many, uh, I mean, you know, he's, he is elderly, you know, you can't assume anybody elderly is going to not come up with a health problem. Hey, hey Joe, let's say your, let's say your prediction comes to fruition. Who do you see the Democrats picking? Who do you see the Republicans picking? Uh, I don't see anybody in a Democratic group that, of the names, I think Newsom is, uh, cannot do it. I, I don't know. I think Michelle Obama is ridiculous. So, uh, Republicans, they could come back with DeSantis or someone, or someone like that. I would say much more of a chance that of DeSantis than uh, than Trump. I would only really. I, I'm blown yeah. away by that. You know, Joe, you you can bet on this, and if that if that happens, you can make a lot of money by not wagering a lot. You can go on online and uh, place a bet that DeSantis would be the nominee, and I get I would guess you would be able to get very good odds on that right now. Okay, but it, uh, the, uh, I think the odds makers, uh, if if they have Trump more than ten percent, they're completely wrong. I'm just saying for the betting public, you know how they bet everything, Frank. Now, you know every little nook and cranny. Yeah, I, I do indeed, Joe. Joe, thank you. Appreciate okay. that. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Tyrone is in the boogie down Bronx. Hi, Tyrone. Hi, uh, Frank. Frank, uh, two quick things. One. When Jeffrey was talking about uh, 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 Clinton perjuring himself, he did not perjure himself. I'm surprised at Jeffrey. What he said was, I did not have intercourse with that woman. He did copulate with her from the standpoint of uh, ratio. Right. Well, so, uh, Tyrone, I I have very little interest in relitigating a case from 30 years ago. But 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 but, yeah, no, but I think, um, you know, that when he was he was disbarred for a time in in Arkansas, even though he'd been the attorney general there. And part of the reason that he was disbarred was because they found that he had perjured himself in those comments. So, I mean, again, it's we're we're now going back 30 years. I I don't have much of an interest in in extending the conversation. But what else did you want to add? One other quick point. Sure. The other other quick point is Lincoln and, uh, and George Washington. Lincoln did not have slaves. That's the reason they did not make George Washington number one. He should have been number one, but he held slaves, human lives. That's why they didn't make him number one. That's my theory. You know, I think you might be right, uh, actually, Tyrone. I, I think we are now viewing, and I think this is a shame, honestly, people that lived hundreds of years ago, Washington, Lincoln included, it through the prism of what's appropriate conduct in the 21st century. And I think you're right. I think a lot of historians did hold that against Washington. The fact that he, that he owned slaves. I think you, that's a good point, Tyrone. I'm glad you raised that. 800-848-9222. Frankie is in Highlands. Hello, Frankie. Yeah, you're, it's intriguing. I mean, uh, just about, uh, 
uh, about um, Biden uh, being uh, related uh, like that to somebody who was pardoned. Um, uh, I want to just say that um, your interview was great, except that Hamas is absolutely looked at by humanity as like Hitler or Nazis. And they've got to be plucked out. They've got to be destroyed. But at the same time, there are a lot of Palestinians and there's a lot of human beings that love the Jews, that they're not anti-Semitic, but they're controlled of course, yeah. to a point where they can't admit that because they are uh, victims of Hamas. And so uh, we've got to separate. We've got to the only uh, real solution here for the world is to call for peace for, for to stop it and then diplomacy and then we have the ability today to to actually track down these people without killing all these other without destroying gaza without you know and we can have two states but not led by hamas and we can free the palestinians well, uh, yeah, I'm listening to you, Frank. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I uh, I think it's a, a good point that you raise about a lot of Palestinians and a lot of Arabs living within Israel not sharing the uh, hateful views of Hamas. You know, I speak I speak about this with Noam Laden a great deal off the air because he has family that still lives in Israel, immediate family. And, you know, he talks about how still – a lot of Arabs living in Israel work with and side by side with Jewish people in Israel. And I don't think you could say that most of those people adhere to the hateful views of Hamas. But look, it's a it's a complicated situation. And I think people on both sides of the equation that try to oversimplify it, I, I think sometimes that doesn't necessarily pay the proper nuance that a situation like this, meaning the complicated Middle East situation needs, right? I, I think it is a nuanced situation. It's a complicated situation. It's a re there's a reason that it's been going on for uh, since 1947, even before, right? So if it was something that was easily solved, it would have been right. It's not, it's not. And I, I think people that act like it's an easy solution, they they do the argument a, a bit of a disservice, but it's neither here nor there. All right. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. We're going to go through your mail correspondence in a bit. You know, they're a little late going to the P.O. box. So if you've sent me something through the snail mail, I have not yet received it. But uh, I will go through the email correspondence and some of your text correspondence as well. If you ever want to text me, you can do so. 8168-MORANO. All right, we'll go through your mail straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This was another song that was in the top 10 of the Billboard Top 10 this week in 1987. And it was on this day in 1987 that my friend uh, Carmine Raimondi was born. He's now a big shot over at the New York City Parks Department and a a great guy. And uh, I'm glad that he was born. And it is a pleasure to have him as a friend. Anybody that runs into Carmine Ramondi today uh, over at the Parks Department, be sure to tell him hello and happy birthday. Okay, we'll go through the mail in just a moment. However, first, we have a very large, I'm very proud of this, a very large listenership inside jails and prisons. There are people listening to us right now that are incarcerated, and I'm very, very pleased to have such a large listenership among the incarcerated because it's great to have a captive audience. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, So anyway, if you – I got two emails over the weekend, one indicating that an inmate who honestly I forgot that I was in touch with removed me from the approved email list that I was on for him, Core Links. And this was uh, kind of a high-profile inmate. I'm not going to say who he who he was. But I think what might have happened, because this fella is still in prison, he was not released, I think what might have happened is, you know, when I get an email, if you email me at frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com or on my personal email, I see it. It pops right up there in my email box. And as I go through my email, which I do every day, I see your email and I'll read it and presumably respond to it. What happens with core links is you have to remember to check it. And I guess for this particular inmate, I did not have notifications checked on so that I would get a notification every time that he wrote me. So I bet you what happened is this fellow has been emailing me for months and I just haven't logged on to core links. And the first reminder that I had that I was in touch with this fella was when I got the email notification. So and so has removed you from his approved email list. So if that's the reason why, and I'm just speculating to that gentleman, I apologize for not being more diligent and having the right setting set so that I get notified all the time. And uh, if you want to request me again, I promise to be more diligent in checking the email that's coming from you. Meantime, I also got an email request to add me to another prisoner's email list, and I have approved. So feel free to write me if you are that gentleman, Mr. Turner. I don't know if he wants his first name used. And uh, you can absolutely feel free to, uh, you know, write me with whatever your issue is. And if it's interesting, something we could use on the show, maybe we will. All right. Um, but, and if you're in prison right now uh, and you want to add me to your approved email list, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com, request me. I'll be happy to approve you. We've gotten a lot of people out of prison and uh, we've, you know, we're working on getting a few people in prison that do belong there. But so far we have not had any luck on that score. Okay. Without further ado, for those of you who are incarcerated or not, it is time to go through... Those letters. Let's find out what you've got to say. Oh boy! Mailman, mailman, mail today. 
coming just moments ago. Tim writes, Frank, the subject, Jeffrey the lawyer. Frank, you should have Jeffrey on weekly. I love his no BS approach to the issues at hand. He has a platform for saying out loud what many Americans, in my opinion, are thinking and talking about. Was an excellent segment. Thanks, Tim from Minnesota. Hey, Tim, thanks for writing. And uh, I appreciate all the great new listeners we have gotten uh, from WCCO in Minneapolis. Please keep spreading the word out there for us in Minneapolis. We're hoping to have the same success out there ratings wise that we've had in a lot of our other great cities. So please keep uh, spreading the word with any friends of yours, any family members that are up late in Minneapolis and uh, tell them to check out the show. Julia writes, hi, Frank. Wonderful show tonight. As always, thank you. Suggestion, put your water bottle in the fridge with your car keys. Then you can't leave home without it. That is actually a good suggestion. When I get home today... I am putting my car keys adjacent to my water bottle. I don't I'm not going to put it in the refrigerator because it will, you know, it will just annoy my wife that there's one more thing cluttering up our refrigerator which is not so long. Uh, another person writes and Jeff is so good this is candy keep him on for hours. Bob in Maryland however disagrees. Jeez, Frank. Another shallow-minded guest? Ridiculous point of view. Bob in Maryland. Again, different strokes for different folks. Uh, This is from my friend Danielle Johnson, who writes, If you could gold medal in any Olympic event, summer or, or winter, which would it be? Well, I mean, I think it's a ridiculous question, because obviously if I was a good enough athlete to gold medal in any sport at the Olympics... I would be doing that, but I'm not good enough. So if I could compete in any Olympic sport, I, um, you know, it would be one of the ones that I play actively, which, you know, is uh, really just, I think, ping pong. They're talking about adding pickleball to the Olympics, but uh, so far they're a ways away from doing that. So I, I do enjoy ping pong. I would enjoy the process of training for it, but In my own tournament that I organize, which has 30 or 40 people, I don't even make it to the semifinals in my own tournament. So if I can't get there in my own tournament, I don't imagine I'm going to do very well on the Olympic stage. But if I had to pick one just for fun purposes, it would be it would be ping pong. Absolutely. Mark writes. Hello, Frank. As someone with a bit of insomnia, I usually catch about 30 minutes of your radio program every night or early morning, to be specific. The AM signal from New York on 770 is very strong to Toronto and consistent most nights. Earlier this morning, Monday, February 19th, I caught your discussion with Richard Bay. Very interesting and informative. The reason I felt the need to comment is that in an ocean of right-wing AM broadcasters, including, for the most part, the station you're on, you're a breath of fresh air. I'm glad your station gives you the latitude to be a self-proclaimed Democrat and be 180 degrees out of phase with the likes of, and he mentions other talk show hosts, which I won't mention. As a liberal, I'm always interested in hearing from the right if the conversation is logical and truthful. Anyway, 
I'm sure the thoughts of a Canadian don't mean much to you and your professional life, but I wanted to congratulate you on being balanced and fair. Mark Johnson, Toronto, Ontario. Well, just to correct one thing, Mark, I'm not a Democrat. I've never been a Democrat or a Republican in my life. The only thing I've ever been is either an independent or a member of uh, minor parties. And for every email that I get saying that I'm a liberal or a Democrat, I get a whole bunch saying I'm a closet right winger and that I'm promoting all these right wing people. So, you know, you can't win sometimes. Barb writes on the subject of presidential libraries. Frank, you will love them. I've been to the libraries of FDR, Clinton and Truman. They're fascinating. When I travel with my tour group, whenever there's a glitch in our itinerary, our tour director has always found a nearby presidential library. Part of the library is historical, another part is personal. My travel group has also been to the Nixon and Reagan libraries. Rave reviews. In the presidential libraries is a replica of the Oval Office, and for $15, you can have your picture taken at the Oval Office desk. You'll also see their limos. Attached is a limo, a photo of my tour director in the Truman Oval Office. You'd look dynamite in these offices. I also attached a personal item from the Clinton Library. Add the libraries to your bucket list. The gift shops are pretty neat, too. Thank you. I will, actually. Lisa writes on the subject of Richard Bay, Democratic partisan hack slash Trump hater. Hey, Frank, your guest Richard Bay thinks Fonnie Willis is articulate. Give me a break. I wonder how she passed the bar because she sounded very stupid and uneducated. She was extremely unprofessional and could not maintain her composure. Fonnie Willis has no proof she paid her portion of the five or six trips she took with her boyfriend in a six-month period with taxpayer money. Richard Bay should have known every real estate company in New York inflates their assets. That's why the banks do their own property evaluations. Banks do not just take whatever is on the application. They do their own investigations. The bank had no issues and was fully paid back with interest. Every real estate company in New York would have to be investigated for this issue. There was no fraud, no victim, and no one was deceived. Mar-a-Lago is estimated to be worth $1.2 billion. The assessed tax value and estimated sales value are always very far apart. Sorry, but your guest does not seem to be an expert on anything except maybe daytime talk shows. He's extremely partisan. He does not understand Trump. Trump has many successful businesses and a very successful presidency. His record speaks for itself. His personality is not the issue only to Democrats. I'm sorry you did not push back harder on Mr. Bay's ridiculous opinions. Have a wonderful President's Day and say hi to Rachel and Carmine. Kathleen writes on the subject of cat urine. Hi, Frank. I've been meaning to write you regarding the cat pee problem. The solution is nature's miracle from the pet store. Just saturate the fabric and let it dry. It really works to get rid of the smell. I have an extremely sensitive nose, and this worked when a cat went inside my car window and left his calling card. Give it a try. When you had the salon services party at uh, your friend John's house during COVID, you'd recommended a place for ices. Was it Rita's? I noticed one just opened two blocks from me here in Fleetwood, New York. If it's the same place, I will be stopping by. I remember the lemon ice was really good. Uh, Kathleen, no. Uh, the place was Ralph's. I'm not saying anything against Rita's, but there's just nothing like Ralph's Italian ices. It's the best in the world. Um... Kara writes, Dear Mr. Morano, recently I was shown a picture of you. I could only think how enchanting you are. Ooh, wow. 
That being said, your wife must be stunning and your beloved son sensational. I was prompted to alert you to the following, your skin condition and Carmine's scar. I have friends who have used both products with a high rate of success. Therefore, I'm attaching information about both problems. And she sends me um, some information on various skincare products. This is nice. This is actually a, an email from radio star Valerie Smaldone. She writes, who's been a guest on this show, and she's terrific. Hello, dear Frank. I hope all is well. I just watched slash listened to the entire interview with Jim McCann that he did with you. You were, as always, delightful to listen to, and Jim McCann did an outstanding job. I just wanted to let you know I caught it. I must be on an email blast from his company and saw that you were on his podcast, so I sat back and watched it. What I appreciate about your work is that you're so knowledgeable about so many topics and that while you have opinions, you're extremely fair. I want to wish you continued success with all you do. Congratulations again on a great appearance. I thought that was a um, really terrific interview, and it had very little to do with me. I, I think it was mostly due to um, what Jim McCann had to say. I think he it was really very well prepared. I thought it was really interesting. Um, this is from uh, someone who writes during during the Jeffrey Lickman interview. You're not going to like this. Please, from my heart, less praise and BS on the introduction. Please, you can say great things without overdoing it. A lot of the time, most of the time, the guest is happy and the listeners are confused as to why you thought your guest hung the moon. Jeff is super, and there's never enough time for him as far as I'm concerned, but I'm nauseous already with the infinite on and on. Just say brilliant attorney, so entertaining, controversial. Welcome, Jeffrey Lickman. The calligraphy and extra sauce not needed. Do the proof in the interview. And I adore you, really. Sorry if you hate me now. No, why would I hate you? I think uh, people, I'm flattered that you're listening. I'm happy that uh, that you're listening. And if you have feedback, that's why we welcome it. Absolutely. And that's why we have a whole Facebook post about it. Ellen, who's a prolific Facebook poster, one of the best, and one of the ones who always uses the best grammar in the Facebook group. There's nothing like being called an idiot by someone that's using the wrong definition, the wrong spelling of your or two. Ellen writes of yesterday's show, Hi, Frank, two great guests and one great show. I just love this morning's show. Richard Bay is one of my favorite guests. I just love listening to him, even when I don't agree with him. I always feel that I can learn something from him or hear another perspective, which, of course, is incredibly valuable. He's so smart, knowledgeable, and witty, and you two have a terrific chemistry together. Thank you. I also found your other guest, Lindsay Shervinsky, who spoke about George Washington and President's Day to be very informative. She has a wonderful radio presence and was delightful. It was a great interview. Frank, I wanted to let you know that I just listened to your interview on Jim McCann's podcast. I remember when your association with him began not too long ago. Previously, I'd always been very annoyed with 1-800-Flowers because I felt they were putting local florists out of business. And to be perfectly honest, I felt their products were inferior to those of local florists. However, I've come around to seeing another side of him. I believe he's a very good person, one who puts his money where his mouth is regarding mental health and his work with Smile Farms. I'm truly inspired by this man. However, I still think I prefer to use local florists. Not only florists, not only that, but he was a terrific interviewer. He really did his homework. It was a thoroughly enjoyable hour. And by the way, I have never seen anyone as animated on a Zoom interview as you. (laughs) 
And finally, uh, and she sent me a link to a um, Academy Award nominated documentary that I have not yet seen, but I will check out. Yeah, I do move my hands a lot. And, um, you know, maybe that's why I don't get asked more often to be on television, because I'm moving my hands with every syllable. I mean, and that's not just for show. I don't know how to stop that. I'm not going to try to stop. It's just it's me. You know, so uh, that's <laughs> that's why I'm not on TV anymore. Uh, Peter. Writes uh, Friday morning, citing sources and social interactions. Frank, you did a Caitlin Clark in your footnoting of the source regarding social interaction and hanging out. With your intelligence, humor, and spunk, you are the radio equivalent of John Stewart. The spunk is reminiscent of comments once made by Lou Grant. Okay, I better stop myself now. You've developed a superb program, albeit without the thousand dollar minute. First of all, Peter. Um, yeah, the reason I cite sources is because a lot of times I'll read articles, and I always try to give the headline, I give the publication, and a lot of times I, I mention the writer as well. Um, and one time I read an article doing all those things, and basically a guy wrote to me, and I remember the show, I think it was on Thanksgiving morning, they wrote to me accusing me of just reading the article. Which is what I did, and passing it off as if it was my own. And the last thing I would want to be accused of is plagiarism, even though I went back and listened to that segment that that guy complained about. And I gave proper attribution. The guy said it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't clear where the article began and my commentary began, uh, where the article ended and my commentary began. That's what I do. I intersperse my commentary with all the articles I'm reading. That's the whole show. So sometimes I go overboard because that guy, and most people don't, but that guy really got to me in terms of, you know, thinking that people might be uh, trying to um, think that I'm misleading them somehow in what's my commentary versus the article. All right, Dale writes, um, question for you. What two men and two women have potential for being Trump's choice for vice president? Well, it's a good question. Uh, look, the people that I would love to see him pick, are he'll never pick because I'm not that lucky, right? So I would love to see him pick Tulsi Gabbard, right? But that's not going to happen. As far as uh, who have potential to be his running mate, I think J.D. Vance in Ohio as a male is right up there. I think um, I think Tim Scott um, is on everybody's short list. As far as women, I think the safest choice is uh, Katie Britt, the senator from Alabama. I think uh, Christy Nome of South Dakota, also uh, a very safe choice for him, even if even with that scandal she was supposedly involved in with the love affair. And a lot of people do mention Sarah Huckabee Sanders from time to time as well. So uh, if uh, let me squeeze in one last one here, uh, but that's a good question. Uh, ja- oh, no, that's way too long now. Uh, a lot of people writing about the workplace refrigeration policy. Um, this is another cat. You oh, well, no, no, here. Let me. I've been negligent in the text. All right, Igor from New Jersey texts Frank. Maybe the propensity of teachers getting involved with OnlyFans says something about teachers' salaries. Igor in New Jersey. Well, maybe, maybe. I'm all for paying teachers more. No question about it. No doubt about it. All right. If we didn't get to your message today, hopefully we will on another edition of. Another letter from our listeners. Dave. 
other side of midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. some trouble these days. The son was just bailed out by um, by his father after he was arrested on gun charges. He was arrested and charged with uh, gun possession in New York City about a week ago. So clearly uh, seems like a very troubled young man who's kind of been involved with the wrong crowd over the years. Tony, very quickly, how many how many cousins do you have? We'll start with first cousins. How many first cousins do you have? It's three of us. Three. Well, including you? I'm sorry, say that again? Including you, that yeah. you said there's three of us. It's, not, so you it's have four all together. Oh, so you have three? Yeah. Matt Blaze, how many first cousins do you have? Two. Two. Okay. I have three. So, <clears throat> and this was interesting, and we do actually have a lot of Canadian listeners, but I think it's interesting to extrapolate this to all over North America. Cousins are disappearing in Canada. And I'm not talking about they're being kidnapped. The size of families are shrinking in Canada. And a new study shows that the biggest casualty of that is cousins. In 2095, assuming trends continue as they're continuing, the average Canadian 15-year-old girl will have 3.6 living cousins that is down, and I don't know if this is first cousins. This this study didn't specify firsts, as I just did with Tony and Matt Blaze. The average Canadian 15-year-old girl will have 3.6 living cousins, down from 15.3 in 1950. Can you imagine? So researchers are afraid that kids will miss out on important developmental stages without those relatives, like learning to make... I don't know. Fart sounds with your arm during funerals. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everybody. You are listening to The Other Side of Midnight, hosted by a man that just went into the refrigerator and grabbed an unlabeled large container of coleslaw and served myself some. 
not labeled. And look, there was a big party here yesterday. I guarantee the coleslaw is left over from the party and is meant to be eaten by us. You know why? Because it's unlabeled. Anybody have a problem with the coleslaw? I walked by Gnome, who apparently has had to open a whole news division regarding the uh, the, the eating habits of people that want to crack down on unlabeled food. I showed him this. He said, enjoy it. You know what I said? I will. I will. Any issue, gentlemen, with this coleslaw at all? I hate coleslaw. I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of coleslaw, right. so okay. Matt and I are on the same so, page, so, so do you. Thank you. It's quite good, I must say. A little too much mayo, but on the whole, quite good. All right. You chew him. Done. All right. There was a front page story in the Wall Street Journal this weekend that initially I thought was kind of silly, but then I saw another uh, headline yesterday, which... I don't know, made me reconsider it a little bit. So I figured, let me bring it to your attention and see what you think about it. Basically, it was about birthday cards that they consider ageist. You know, all these birthday cards that show, oh, you know, you're so old. Essentially, what people were saying in this Wall Street Journal piece was that these cards were um, falling out of fashion with people, that people no longer liked getting these cards that said, oh, you know, you're so old that when um, they light up your birthday cake, the, the fire department has to come because it's setting off all those smoke alarms. They're saying those cards are becoming less and less in vogue and people don't necessarily find them funny anymore. In fact... Much more than that, they are finding them openly ageist. The headline was, the language battle is now coming for your birthday card. A faction of greeting card makers want to banish ageist jokes, but the humor defenders say teasing adds to the charm. You know these cards. You've probably gotten cards like this, right? The um, you know, you, you'll say you'll, it'll say you're not old, you're vintage, something along those lines. So a hundred and twenty three million people in this country are over 50 and we're tired of the damn your old cards. That's what Jan Golden, the creator of the age friendly vibes greeting card line, told The Wall Street Journal in mid-January. This group, Age-Friendly Vibes, was one of some three dozen lines temporarily on display at Atlanta Market, the country's largest showroom for gift products and home decor. And like all of Golden's fellow card and, um, you know, exhibitors, she was hoping to catch the eye of the retailers, retailers who sell the estimated six and a half billion greeting cards bought annually in the U.S. And while she's at it, perhaps strike a blow against the ageism that she says is embedded in the birthday card industrial complex. That's actually in the Wall Street Journal piece. Now, I love that we use that term for everything. You got the media industrial complex. 
You got the birthday card industrial complex. You know why? Because it still it works. It's still apropos. Because look, with six and a half billion greeting cards sold, there is a birthday card industrial complex. There is big birthday card. There's a birthday card lobby. There's the birthday card deep state. Um, so in any event, Ms. Golden says, have you gotten one of these cards that says you're one step closer to the sweet release of death? Happy birthday. That stuff just picks away at older adults. So a web develop she's a web developer and a graphic designer. She launched her age positive line in 2020, motivated in part by her experience of offering tech training to older adults in the Denver area where she lives. She tells the journal, honestly, half the time the tech just didn't work, but older adults were getting blamed for not being able to learn and adapt on the job. I know we have a lot of older people that listen to this show. And I consider myself, even though, you know, I'm relatively young, even though I'm getting, you know, um, older by the day and the gray hair that I have makes it look like I'm anything but young. I, I consider myself an honorary seasoned citizen. You know, you know, the phrase old soul, I never really liked it because uh, but I guess it works for me. It applies for me. You know, a lot of my sensibility when I was growing up, all my friends were always older. You know, um, when I was a teenager, my friends would be talking about their their plans for the weekend. Uh, this one's going to this party. This one's going to that. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to my friend's grandson's bar mitzvah. You know, or, uh, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to my, my my friend's daughter's birthday. Oh, how old are they? I don't know. They're 18. I got them a bunch of driving stuff. And I was always friends with a much older group of people. And it, it's very rewarding on the one hand because you learn a great deal. You learn about uh, pop culture that you weren't there to witness. You learn about elements of history that these people lived not as history, but they lived it firsthand. But it's also sad because what happens is a lot of your close friends end up dying, as has happened to me. So in any event, um, I get very upset at many different aspects of the ageist culture. One of my favorite people to interview on this show regularly is Ralph Nader. And the last time he was on the show, I, I said, do you find that the way people are describing Trump and Biden and McConnell and other people is discriminatory towards older folks. And he had kind of an interesting answer. It wasn't necessarily what I expected. And that's one of the things I love about interviewing Ralph Nader is because he always gives an unexpected answer. But I am curious, if you're an older person, do you find these ageist birthday cards offensive? Do you find them annoying or do you find them funny? Because I could see a case being made for any of the three. Are they ageist? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Are you happy that more companies are out there using these age-positive birthday cards? Now, again, I, um, I'm not offended by much. I think the most important thing, if you're going to go the humor route for a birthday card, is that it be funny. 
I always try to go for a funny card or a blank card. One of the two. We have a long supply of blank cards at our house and just regular stationery. And I like to write in my own birthday greeting or anniversary greeting or good luck greeting. And I, and I send a fair amount of these cards out. But I, uh, I think the important thing if you go the humor route is be funny. So many of the cards that I see in the humor section, they're not actually funny. So I thought that was an interesting article, but I found it much more interesting given what I read yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, which is this. A record number of Americans are going to turn 65 this year. About 4.1 million Americans are going to turn 65 this year. They call this a silver tsunami. Our country, on average, is older than it's ever been. And, I mean, is it any wonder a lot of times people complain, oh, we got whoever wins this election is going to be the oldest president ever. We got old guys in charge of the Senate. We got old guys in the presidency. Is it any wonder when the nation is aging that they're electing their peers, essentially? Well, anyway, <clears throat> about 4.1 million Americans, according to the Wall Street Journal, are going to turn 65 this year. This surge of 65-year-old baby boomers is going to continue through 2027. AARP, they're calling it, as I said, the silver tsunami. Today, according to the journal, today's 65-year-olds are redefining a milestone long associated with retirement parties and the end of productive years. They are wealthier and by many measures, healthier and expected to live another 20 years. You know, uh, our top of the hour theme song for the last hour of the program, and if you're listening in a market that doesn't carry all four hours of the show, you can hear all four hours of the show by going to redapplepodcastnetwork.com and just search The Other Side of Midnight, or better yet, go to any podcast app, just search The Other Side of Midnight and hit the subscribe button. But the song that we use is I'm Not Tired Yet, and I love it not only because of the odd hour that we're on, because but I love it for what it says in the song. I love it for what it says about life. And it's just a great song. When I first heard Curtis play it 30 years ago, I always said, if I ever have an overnight show of my own, I'm going to play that song every day. And Kathy Wheeler, who turned 65 this year, turned, uh, told the AARP, I'm not tired. I'm healthy and I enjoy my job. And I have to tell you. I am meeting more and more people that are not just 65. I actually view 65 as kind of young these days. I'm meeting people, talking to people, and I have friends of mine that are 70, 75. And there was a time when I would consider 70 old. And I don't consider that old at all. You know, my father fits into this demographic. Um, He's 65 plus, you know. Plus, plus, plus. And I got to tell you, two years ago when we played softball for my brother Nick's bachelor party, he was the second best player on the field. And he's playing with guys in their 30s and their 20s. The guy is still an incredible athlete. And I really think, you know, the Wall Street Journal article is focusing more on 
professionalism. But I think even in terms of quick mindedness, I think in terms of dominating field after field, um, maybe the exception is the media. Because there's still this obsession with younger demos, younger demos, which I've always thought was idiotic. And, you know, even some radio stations that I've worked at, because I've always gotten very good ratings with the older demographics. The older you are, the better chance you are, the the better chance there is that people are listening to me. So um, sometimes I'd even have to convince salespeople. They'd almost scoff at these great ratings that we're getting with 55 plus listeners. And they would say, oh, well. It's a shame you're not doing better in 2554. I'd say, what? What's the matter with you? These are the people that have money. These are the people that run the world. And you're acting as if their listenership is either something that doesn't count or something that can't be sold to advertisers. And I think that's so short-sighted on the part of the media industry. But we are seeing... More Americans over 65 working. We're also seeing new power centers in terms of an aging population being in charge of so many different aspects of society around the country. So I um, I think this is so interesting. America is older than it's ever been. More Americans are turning 65 this year than have ever turned 65 before. And this silver tsunami is going to continue for the next three years. So I'd love your thoughts on that, on the trend line in America getting older, what you think this means for the culture, for politics, for the media, for sports. And I'd love to know uh, your opinion on these birthday cards as well. 800-848-9222. You know what I did see this weekend? I saw an article about Generation Z and how this generation, Generation Z, I think, is someone born after 1996. Generation Z is embracing all sorts of trends geared towards folks that were born 50 years ago. They're going to bed super early and they are priding getting a good night's sleep over going out. Unlike millennials, unlike uh, Generation Xers, the Gen Zers love going to bed early and getting a good night's sleep. Also, what's a huge trend among the Generation Zers, landlines, landlines. They love landline telephones. Some of them are buying landlines as kind of a decorative thing and others are getting it because they're they really want to use the phone. So Generation Z, their interest in nostalgia, things like flip phones, not at all shared by millennials, not at all shared by the Gen Xers. We're seeing a very odd situation in society these days where the interests of the Generation Zers are dovetailing pretty well with the interests of, in some respects, I mean, it's different when it comes to politics, obviously, but are dovetailing pretty well with the interests of these baby boomers that are now 65 plus. Curious where you come down on this, any aspect of it, the birthday cards or the fact that America is now the oldest it's ever been. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Ed in Westchester. Hello, Ed. Hey, Frank, how are you? 
Um, so, so I have a question about Jeffrey Lickman, but it just so happens that I am turning 65 this year. Happy birthday. And I work, thank you. Thank you. I work out seven days a week. I own a large event space, work probably six or seven days a week there. And, uh, you know what? I feel like I'm 45. So, you know, there's, as far as I'm concerned, there's no stopping me. And I don't even want to think about turning 65 and, uh, uh, having to think about Medicare, that, uh, that's crazy. Uh, I don't even want to think about that. Um, that having been said, I, I have an observation about Jeffrey Lickman and also a hypothetical question. Sure. If you'll allow me to pose that to you. So Jeffrey Lickman, you know, love him or hate him, he's defended some very questionable people, as, as many defense attorneys have, John Gotti, and in particular, El Chapo. Um, so you look at El Chapo, and here you have somebody who arguably you could say kill, has killed millions of people. So why would a defense attorney defend them? And then you know, go to the defense attorney, and they'll tell you because every person deserves to be defended. And whether it's because they're paying him a million dollars or whatever the case may be, he's defended all these people. So here's the hypothetical question that I ask you, and perhaps you can ask him at some point. Given the opportunity, would he be interested, because he believes in defending everyone, would he be interested in defending at the time when, it was, uh, when he was around Adolf Hitler? Would that be someone he would be interested in defending? Because everybody deserves to be defended. Well, look, obviously I can't, <clears throat> I can't speak for him. But I think that um, I've talked to him before about uh, about this subject, and I've heard other people ask him similar questions, as well as other defense attorneys, because everybody has their lines that they uh, they won't cross. And from what I remember, Jeffrey saying is um, as long as somebody could pay his fee, the only folks that he wouldn't defend are uh, somebody that uh, that tortured animals or abused animals in some way. That's uh, from what I remember him saying. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Antonio is in Brooklyn. Hello, Antonio. Hey, hi, guys. Uh, your last caller. Thank you, sir. I really appreciated what you just said. My contention is this. What is it going to take for everyone just everyone to realize and recognize and understand. it's called a joke for a reason. People, please lighten up. I'm from Panama. We love a good joke. You, know, you are the best. Right? Thank you, Antonio. Let me Senor ask you this. Morano, Sorry, go ahead. Senor Morano, you are the best. Thank you, you very much. The best. Thank you. A Antonio, let me ask you I'm a question. Listening. We had a male, a guy that worked, the, the mailman here, basically, the guy that worked in the mailroom, Vinny, great guy. Uh, he was from Panama. I think after he retired, he moved back to Panama. He used to tell me. Of course. He used to tell me um, that they, when he was growing up in Panama, there was this drink that was a mixture of coffee and tea. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> yes. Well, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? <laughs> if you haven't been, you must go visit my country. Okay. Well, so what is if it called? What do I? You, what do I ask they for? Feed then? you, you will never leave. <laughs> what do I ask for to get that coffee and tea mixture? Dile que te den ese café bien rico. 
I like that. I may have to take you with me or at least record you uh, saying that. But if it won't, it won't taste the same if I make my own tea and make my own coffee and just mix it together, right? No. No. Okay. All right. Well, no. I, that might be no. worth the trip to no. Panama. I think my sister's going to Panama this year. I have to ask her to try some of that. Antonio, thank you. You know, they're, they're, everyone I know, they're, they're these big travelers, uh, it's great to travel. I don't like to pack. You know, again, I don't want to sound too Larry Davidish, but it's a lot of hullabaloo to pack. I was going to do the um, TSA pre-check thing, but then my wife got annoyed with me that I didn't ask her about joining first. So it became one of those things that probably not worth the arguments. David is in Minnesota listening on WCCO. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank. Yeah. Hey, man. You're uh, on a Talking about a category that I uh, fit the demo with tonight. I'm, I, I turned 75 on my last birthday. And uh, um, I'll, show, I'll just tell you about a card that I got from my daughter. And uh, it's uh, got a picture. It's green and it's got a little farmhouse and it's got a big cow on the, on the front part. And it says, I can still party till the cows come home. And then in parentheses, as long as they come home by around 9 p.m. <laughs> I like that. I think that's pretty funny. As somebody. Uh, and then inside it says, it's your birthday. Party till nine ish. <laughs> I like that. So you found it funny, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's I cool. Mean, I, you know, I got You know, and I'll tell you. And hey, by the way, I'm, I'm speaking to you on a landline. I, I love a good landline, Dave. I still have one. Although my landline, they tell me, is not a real landline because even though it's a wire plugged into the wall, it's powered yeah. not by a copper phone line. It's powered by the internet. So if the internet yeah. goes down, I do lose my phone line. But at least it's got the feel of a landline. It's got a hardness to it. It's got a wire that I, I can't walk too far away from. Well, I got a cordless. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so um, I guess. Uh, but, but I still have the old-fashioned kind too. I mean, I don't know how many phones we got in this house. Um, you know, about you know three three phones. Play. You know, I got a cell phone, and this is a this is this line is a line that my wife had when when we got married, uh, and uh, what we've been married what. We got. I'm not sure. It's her second marriage. It, it's my first. I, uh, I didn't get married until I was over forty. And um, but like I say, I got a daughter that's fifty. Oh. And, well, she's um, eligible for ARP herself now. <laughs> I don't know about that. She is. Really? Once you hit fifty, you're eligible. Dave, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Good luck with all those phone lines. All the better to call you with, my dear. Lisa is in Connecticut. Now, Lisa, I feel like you're someone that is relatively young, but you tend to gravitate towards older folks as well. Am I right about that? Oh, my gosh. It's totally right. Because even like in high school, my sister used to get so mad at me because I was a freshman and she was a senior. And she legit got mad at me and would cause fights with me because I was friends with the seniors. I don't want to hang them with the freshmen. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like as life goes on, you're totally right because I don't know what it is, but 
I, I don't know. I, I guess it's like you can learn a lot from them. They're very classy. I like the old school mentality. I like the values. And I don't, I'm not saying like you know, a lot of people don't have values that are younger or whatever, but sure. I don't know. I just, you're right. I just gravitated towards other people. Maybe to, I don't know. Maybe I was just more of an observer. My mom used to say that I, when I was a baby, I never cried. I sat in the chair and basically just watched everything. She's like, you were the best baby. You never cried. You just wanted to watch everything. Uh, Lisa, (laughs) really? Let me ask about relationships. When you've been in romantic relationships previously, have you tended to date guys that were your own age, or did you tend to skew older in that department as well? You know what's crazy? I've gone younger. I've gone older. It just didn't matter. It was more of like a vibe that I had mm-hmm. with somebody. Yeah. Do you know I, what I mean? Totally. I'm in the same I, boat. I, I guess maybe I tended to sort of go maybe a couple years older normally, but there was never really a difference. Like there were some situations where I dated an older person and then that didn't work out. And I dated a younger person that didn't work out. So I don't know. Each doesn't really make a big difference unless, you know, it's like you're not on the same page with things. You have to be on the same page with things mm-hmm. and your maturity level. You know what I mean? You, and you have to also put out there, like, do you want to have kids? Do you want to get married? Because a lot of those things, like, I would date somebody younger and be like, they'd be like, why don't you want to be my mama? And I'm like, because I know at this point in my life, I was dating somebody younger that it wasn't going to be the one and you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I was just like, no. You know, so there's certain things that I did in my life where I made certain decisions and stuff, but I was really a workaholic. And, you know, I had a couple of different situations where I possibly could have gotten married, but I was so into my work and my work ethic and everything that that kind of got in the way. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there, Lisa. Believe me, I know exactly of what you speak. Lisa, thank you. Uh, let me take a quick break. Those of you that uh, that are on hold, we'll get to you. Those of you that want to call in, feel free to do so. 800-848-9222. I am going to go ahead and try to squeeze in some more coleslaw before we return straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. What did you think I would do at this moment when you're standing before me with tears found you another you just don't love me no more what did you think I would say at this moment 
when I'm faced with the knowledge. The great Billy Vera in honor of Carmine Ramundi's birthday. Hey, I just got a nice SMS text message here uh, from Brother Greg, who is a Franciscan brother over at uh, St. Francis College, who I'm friendly with. And he writes, among other things, uh, that he's turning 65 in August and his gratitude to God and his contribution to the world have never been greater. By the way, I meant to mention this because the other day we were talking about addiction and uh, smoking. We were talking about the problems of smoking. And smoking is no doubt about it. And I mentioned this last week, a terrible addiction and it's more difficult than most to quit. And Brother Greg reminded me that St. Francis College hosts a nicotine anonymous group every Wednesday afternoon at 179 Livingston Street at 1 p.m. in Brooklyn. He said uh, all are welcome. So if you're having a difficult time quitting nicotine, show up to uh, St. Francis College Wednesdays at 1 p.m., 179 Livingston Street. It's a great group of people there, and uh, Brother Greg is certainly a great guy. And if you're looking for some difficulty in quitting a very, very difficult habit, strikes me as a pretty good place to start. I uh, mentioned that I have been watching the current season of Curb Your Enthusiasm last last night. My wife and I watched episode three of the current season. I I liked it. I thought it was very funny. And I thought one of the things that I enjoyed about it was that it brought a lot of people. I don't want to give anything away because someone sent me an email about this episode before I had seen it. And it kind of gave something away in the headline about who specifically was coming back. So I'm not going to do the same thing that Isaac did to me when he sent me that email, because I would have preferred to have been surprised. But it brings back in the most recent episode a lot of people from the show, from the show's past, that we haven't necessarily seen in a long time. And two are in a very funny um, mode about it. I will say, just for humor purposes and for story purposes, of the three episodes that have aired so far this season... I think the third one is the weakest so far. It's still funny. I still enjoyed it. And if you're, it gives JB Smoove, who plays Leon brilliantly, a chance to do his thing and have, uh, and shine a little bit. And there are some scenarios where, that you can all really relate to, as is the case with every Curb episode. A very funny cameo from an Academy Award winning actor. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's brilliantly done. I think the first two episodes, though, were so great that I think the third is the weakest. It's, I think this has been a great season so far. I'm really enjoying it thus far. Matt, I know you said you haven't watched it in years, but you were thinking of uh, of starting up again. Have you ended up starting up again? I have not, but you just gave it away. No, I didn't. You just said somebody's coming back. Well, you just gave it away. That that, that gave away nothing. They gave away that somebody's coming back. There there have been <laughs> five, in 12 seasons of this show, there's been 500 People that have been guest stars on this show. I gave away absolutely nothing. Well, now I'm going to go, oh, this, what episode is it? Three. So now I'm going to be like, oh, somebody's going to be coming back. Yes, yes. Could it, that, that, Ted, uh, could it be Ted Dancin? I'm not going to say. Could it be, uh, what's the, the Richard, uh, the comedian? I am not saying. You know what I'm talking about? No, I'm not saying. 
Uh, I do like J.B. Smooth, though. He's hysterical. Yeah, he he's great in this episode. If you're a J.B. Smooth fan, this is a, a good episode uh, for you. But yeah, we um, Rachel and I watched it last night. We enjoyed it very much. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, Carmine sleeps through the night tonight because he has regressed sleep-wise. He has not been sleeping well. He's been getting up every night, 11 p.m., 11.30, midnight, and will just cry. He's inconsolable. And then uh, he'll, um, I think on Saturday, I think on Saturday, no, Saturday he didn't sleep through the night either. I was up with him, uh, and so was uh, so was my wife, at, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yesterday I came home, and it was a good night for him in comparison he got up at 4.30 in the morning, and he's been, he was up until 6. Fred, first he started crying, and after my wife left him alone for a bit, then she went and consoled him when he wouldn't stop. And then he stayed in his crib laughing and talking and singing. His favorite song to sing is the alphabet song. He just sings the alphabet song over and over and over again. Just sings it all day long. Has a good time with his stuffed animals. So uh, I'm not sure why he's having a difficult time sleeping. And then yesterday, or maybe it was the previous day, he got up in the morning and he said, and he totally lied, he said, I slept the whole night. No, you didn't. You were up, you know, at 11, 11.30. So this is one area where I do feel a bit guilty working overnight because my wife has to shoulder the burden of him being awake in the middle of the night single-handedly. There's no, oh, this is your turn kind of a deal. She has to deal with that every night. So I'm hoping that this newfound bout of insomnia is short-lived. Although if he is up listening now, he should uh, absolutely feel free to call in. We have no school this week because his preschool, even though he's two years old, follows the DOE calendar and it's their winter break or president's week break. So he's off, which has made childcare this week quite challenging. And I might add quite expensive. Uh, Thank God though, that we have uh, a very supportive group of grandparents to handle at least a couple of the days, but uh, it has been very, very, very difficult. All right. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222, Owen is in Wisconsin. Hello, Owen. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, you have hit so many incredible, beautiful buttons with me, and, and talk about a timely call. I woke up about 20 minutes ago, couldn't sleep, turned on the radio, and you're talking, you're introducing this topic. Um I want to just tell you that earlier today, I had someone in my volunteer taxi here in Wisconsin. I'm a Queens boy, by the way. Long story how I came to be in Wisconsin, but I'm very happy here. I've been here for 30 years. Uh, And also X of Radio in Boston at WRKO. So you and I have a lot in common. Wonderful. At any rate, I had somebody in the car. And he was telling me I had to take him to the hospital for his doctor checkup, and he had been through life, uh, had a lot of bangs, bones broken, whatever. And uh, he mentioned to me uh, at the end of the conversation, he said, I'm 68 years old. And I said, yeah, well, you know, hey, I'll tell you how old I am. He said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 78 years old. And he looked at me, and he gave me the same look that I get at the airport all the time when the guys will not let me go through without telling me to take my shoes off. (laughs) And I say, no, I'm of age. 
and they look at me and they want my passport or they want my driver's license, and I show it to them. And the, and, and two trips ago, and I don't say this to brag because I'm coming up to a point that touches my heart, and I maybe want your advice on something. Uh, two trips ago, I'm at Miami at two o'clock in the morning on a uh, flight delay, and I go through the dance, and the, and this these one these guys at at the, at the check. Late in the morning, you know, everybody's loose. Or early in the morning, everyone's loose about these things. They say, uh, hey, uh, sorry, sir, take your shoes off. And I said, no, I'm of age. And they said, I have to see your, your passport. I show him the passport. And he gestures over to his buddy, and he says, say what? He said, hey, come here. Look at this guy. <laughs> you know, And and you know how what that does to one's ego, because I have all my hair, thanks to my mother, and uh, I don't look my age by any means, but. Now, here's the part that may touch the heart. I am struggling right now, or not really struggling, because I've made the decision with the support of my wonderful wife of 38 years. I want to get a puppy. Oh, good for you. Of a particular breed. The breed happens to be a major league challenging breed that I've had before. It's called the Shorthead Pointer, which many of your listeners will know. I have struggled with this and struggled with this and struggled because our current dog, I'm a dog fancier all my life, is 13 years old. She has cancer and she doesn't have long to go. And when she goes, it's going to break my heart hugely. If you've ever had a dog, you know what I'm talking sure. about. And so I tell you, I'm not a big guy on prayer, but I have tried to find some kind of of, of, of message from the Almighty. Can I do this? Should I do this? Is it fair for me to do this? I would be 90 years old at the likely end of this dog's life. And you know what? I finally, I swear, some voice came to me from on high and said, it's going to be okay. And you can do this. And it, it, it really gets me choked up when I think about it because I'm, I feel so guilty about taking this step. But on the other hand, I have vitality, and it's a very important thing for me to have a dog like this in my life. We've already picked out the puppy down in Illinois, and we're going to go pick it up in three weeks. And I have, I have been walking on air in the other regard that I'm finally getting this behind me. But as far as people aging, you're right. Your brain is always 27. I went to CW Post College many, many, many years ago. And my brain is the same brain of that 23-year-old at the time. Went off to the Peace Corps after that, did the world, did the whole thing. But in my head, I am still that age. Those memories never fade. The essence of who you are doesn't fade. If you take care of yourself, by the way, as you alluded to, never smoked a cigarette. I don't drink except rarely socially, a cold beer on a hot day. But it, it really... It's been a struggle for me, and I finally decided I'm going to do this. Good. I'm my glad, wife, I'm my glad wife to hear that. My wife said okay. But anyway, I just wanted to share that because I yeah. couldn't believe this topic. No, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, and you know, one of the things that I guess I didn't realize is once you're over a certain age, you no longer have to take your shoes off at the airport? Oh, yeah. No, you get 72 years old. I think it's 72, oh. maybe 70. But you reach a certain age, and they don't put you through that anymore. No, that's good. I'm, I'm, I thought maybe you knew that. No, I, I, maybe at one time I did, but uh, I was having a senior moment, I suppose. Oh, and thanks yeah. for the call. And um, uh, whenever you're feeling insomniatic, give us a call again. Thank you. Good luck with that puppy. That's exciting. 800-848-9222. Arnold is in Brooklyn. Hello, Arnold. Hi, Frank. Uh, I 
enjoyed the Jeffrey Lichtman interview to the extent that I had a dose of Jeffrey Lichtman, but it was unsatisfying on three scores. Uh, the first one is why is or how is Trump's lawyer an idiot? The second one is is he embracing the $18 million evaluation of uh, Mar-a-Lago instead of somewhere over $100 million? Uh, because he said he broke the law. And the third thing is, um, why does interest begin to accrue in 2019 when the trial wasn't held until 2024? Yeah, Arnold, those are all questions that I that I can't ask uh, that I can't answer honestly. Um, but uh, so I would only be trying to guess at Jeffrey's answer, which I I can't do. I have learned years ago. I've known Jeffrey how long? Twenty twenty one years. I've learned years ago not to not to guess what Jeffrey Lickman is thinking or going to answer because inevitably he will surprise you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hi, Jay. Hey, Frank, uh, you appeal to us old sages, and you act like an old sage, but you're not. Um, Being part of the Silver Tsunami, the best thing is we know all the elevator music. If you're in the elevator with us old geezers, look at us. We're tapping our toes. (laughs) I like it. I like it, Jay. Fair enough. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. Also curious how uh, you have enjoyed the current season of uh, of Curb Your Enthusiasm. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Uh, Joe from Ronkonkoma uh, just sent me at six minutes, eight minutes until the top of the hour. This is the other side of midnight. Getting back to your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. He just sent me a reminder of what I was going to mention. Um, he asked, how did Carmine like the Daytona 500? I, I mentioned, you know, my son is obsessed with cars. He loves playing with cars. He likes watching the movie cars. He likes pointing the cars on the street. He has now four cars that he can ride around in. I was trying to put him in the car, in our car, to travel somewhere yesterday afternoon, and the garage door was open. He went into the garage and got his little red car, his little tyke uh, car to roll around with. Loves it. Loves, loves cars, everything about it. So I thought... He'd be into racing, car racing. And so Joe reminded me that the Daytona 500 was on yesterday. So I put it on for him. And I have to tell you, he was underwhelmed. Underwhelmed. He wasn't into it. He watched it for a couple of seconds. And then he preferred to just play with his own cars. And I wasn't going to push the issue because, you know, if he can play with his own toys instead of watching a screen, I'd much rather have him do that. But he wasn't into it. At first, he said a different one, different one. So meaning he wanted a different race on. So he wasn't wasn't into it. 
But uh, we'll try again maybe in the future because I was surprised that he wasn't into it because he likes everything car related but just wasn't into car racing. I'm not into car racing. I that my the 10 minutes or so of the Daytona 500 that I watched yesterday afternoon, that was more of a NASCAR race than I've ever seen. I mean, and I know people are really into it. I think some people count it as the most popular sport in America. To me, and I'm not trying to sound urbanist, but to me it it looks like a bunch of cars driving around. I mean, I actually found it pretty boring, but we'll try again because I do think that he would be into it. Hey, I do want to mention this. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, I maybe the fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I declared myself to be the emperor of Antarctica. And obviously I'd never been to Antarctica, but I, I thought it would be kind of a cool thing to be the emperor of a big old continent like that. And then pretty, pretty, you know, everyone would tell me at the time, you know, there are these treaties that were signed in the fifties that prohibit countries from, you know, establishing a colony there. Basically it can only be used for scientific purposes. And then I said, yes, but it doesn't say anything about a private individual. Why should I be bound by a treaty that the United States signed in the 1950s? And then kind of I lost interest and was just more into other things and stopped proclaiming myself to be the emperor of Antarctica. But the I was way ahead of my time because there is a micronation called West Arctica that is claiming to be a real nation. And in 2001... Naval intelligence specialist Travick McHenry found a loophole in the Antarctic Treaty, and that was the beginning of West Arctica, a micronation with its own flag, its own currency, and its own Grand Duke. I'm going to see if we can't get the Grand Duke of Antarctica on this show, Grand Duke Travis I of West Arctica. I think that's pretty cool. They had MicroCon, a convention for all these micronations in uh, Las Vegas last year. And we had a guy um, that uh, that proclaims himself to be the leader of a micronation in Nevada uh, on the radio last year, the Republic of Malasia. And he was an interesting guy. And he went there. and He's very big into this micronation movement. And I think the whole idea of micronations are interesting because it forces people to think about what is a country? What makes a country in what makes a country a country? So I'm going to reach out to this uh, West Arctica Grand Duke and see if we can get him on the show. As best I can tell. Um, he's not in West Arctica. So he's the Grand Duke of this place, which is in Western Antarctica, that, um, you know, that he is not currently in. It does look like he might have been there, but I don't know. Well, uh, I'm going to do some more exploring on that. But I just came across that article yesterday, and I thought that was I thought that was interesting. 800 848-9222, 800-848-9222. Two, two. Danielle is in Brooklyn. Hello, Danielle. Hi, Frank. How are Hi. you? I am. Uh, um, I'm doing just peachy. Thank you. Good. Um, in regards to your son, how old is he again? Two. He was two uh, in November. Okay. Has he started teething? Of course. Um, have you ever considered that? That's why he's like waking up. Like, have you have you guys ever like 
check well, his teeth. Well, he's got pretty much a full mouth of teeth. Wow, already? Wow. Well, I know I know they say you don't get uh, – I think he still might – you know, it's difficult for me to get in there and count. But he, he looks like he's got all his front teeth and all his bottom teeth. So I, I don't think you get them all until you're maybe about three or four. So it's possible yeah. maybe something is growing – in the back, but um, I don't know. He doesn't complain that his mouth is hurting. He just wants to get up and, you know, uh, sometimes he'll say read a book. Sometimes he'll say go downstairs. Sometimes he'll say drink milk. He just kind of gets restless and wants to do something else. Has he ever have, is he, has he ever had a nightmare and like told you like I had a bad dream or something? He, he hasn't, and I've asked, I've asked, but uh, but no, he just uh, he just said he'll he'll say what he wants to do, but he'll not say oh this is hurting me or I had a bad dream. I'll ask, did you have a bad dream? And no, he doesn't really answer. <laughs> okay, no, because I was just like I was thinking, and I'm like those are the only two things that I could think of, unless like he's just being terrible twos. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that might be just what it is. Again, hopefully it was short lived. Um, maybe, you know, I haven't gotten any reports from my wife yet, but uh, hopefully tonight's a good night. We, my mom watched him on Friday night and he slept through the whole night. So maybe that's the key. Maybe he just has to be watched mm-hmm. by other people. Danielle, thanks for the call. Um, Joe Manchin. Not running for president. I had this on my list for uh, Richard Bay yesterday, but we didn't get to it. I'll comment on that and a whole bunch of interesting things happening when it comes to schools. We'll get into that as well. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Just because school is out for many different school districts around the country, that doesn't mean it's not an opportune time to look at the state of education in America and the world. In fact, it might be the best time to do so. Did you know high schoolers in Taiwan a.k.a. Formosa, will be able to take up to three days off per semester for mental health purposes under new guidelines aimed at addressing student well-being. Several Taiwanese universities embraced mental health leave policies starting in 2022 and during the previous academic year. Students at 11 colleges took more than 29,000 mental health days, according to the Taipei Times. Young people globally 
are reporting higher levels of emotional distress. We've talked about this before. I think there are a variety of factors responsible for this. This is a pattern, though, young people suffering from uh, higher levels of emotional distress that is partly attributed to the COVID pandemic, but I don't think it can be entirely attributed to that. I think there are a wide variety of causes going into this. Governments around the globe have increasingly turned to additional days off as a partial solution. More than 10 states in the U.S., now allow children to take an excused absence if they feel depressed or anxious or they just need to recharge. I have to tell you, I think this is a good idea. And, you know, maybe some people are going to think this is the coddling of young people uh, in the 21st century. I don't view it that way. I think there are just some days... When you need a day off, right, when you're not sick, when you don't have a death in the family, where you just need a day off. And I I think this applies to adults, too. You just need a day to collect your thoughts and chill out a bit. And I think, look, I I don't know what the uh, research shows about what these mental health days actually do for a young person's mental well-being or emotional well-being. I don't think this is the worst idea in the world. I think it's a pretty good idea, actually. So I'm all I'm all for this. Love to know what you think. 800-848-9222. The rise of mental health days. No excuse. Absences that you can take up to three, let's say, per semester, that will not count against you. I think it's a pretty good idea. I think young people are having a tough time in this country and clearly in other places. And if this is something that allows them to be a little less anxious, so be it. Now, obviously, if this were to be more widely adopted beyond the 11 states that this is currently in, you may have young people using this to their advantage. Because I'll tell you what I would do when I was in school is I would use this to take the day off when I had a project due or had a test or had a big homework assignment due that I hadn't done, and then I would just um, take my mental health day that day and then use that mental health day to work on this project that I had been ignoring for the last three weeks and then hand it in the next day. That's not really the purpose of why these exist. So I'm not sure how to implement this kind of a system so that it can be used for its intended purpose, but there's got to be a way. Maybe there's not. I was the worst with this stuff. All the way up to college. If you gave me something that was due on March 21st, I would start working on it on March 22nd. Every assignment that I ever did in school was handed in late. And that was really the one thing that kept me from getting very good grades in in junior high school, high school and, and college. I would procrastinate, 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 focus on other things and then hand in the work late and beg the teacher to accept it. Sometimes she would with a penalty and sometimes she wouldn't. And really you hurt my grades. So if they have this mental health day when I was a young person, would have loved it. I'll tell you what else is happening in schools that is changing. How did you get to school when you were a young person? I mean, I guess in my case, I got to school different ways at different times, depending on what school that I was going to. 
But when I was in elementary school, I would take the bus. I'm trying to think. When I was in high school, I took the, the city bus, right? So I would take the school bus when I was in junior high school and I think middle school. And then I would take the city bus when I was in high school. Once in a while, I would get a ride from my grandfather or my mother. But for the most part, I took the bus. Well, for many families, school pickup lines are replacing the yellow bus. Really interesting. A majority of U.S. students now arrive at school in private cars. Big article in the Washington Post about this. This trend accelerated during the pandemic and it's being fueled by a shortage of bus routes and drivers. Last year, actually in 2022, 53% of kindergarten through 12th graders got dropped off or drove themselves in a private car. Obviously, that's more the seniors in high school than the kindergartners. But they came to school in a private car, while 33% took the bus. That is according to the Washington Post's analysis of National Household Travel Survey data. Only, and this was really interesting, only 11% of students walked or biked to school, a proportion that's been falling for decades. So in addition to the reduced availability of these buses, remote work is another reason that parents are more likely to drive their kids. The parents are working from home. They're home with the kids, the home with the car. And before they start their workday, since they're not commuting, they're dropping the children off at school. And uh, not all parents have that option. So bus cutbacks may be helping to drive the rise in absenteeism that we've been talking about as well that has gotten worse since the pandemic. So if you want to comment on either the rise in children being dropped off in private cars or the debate over mental health days, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. But. That leads us to what I think is the most interesting story regarding education in this country. We have covered this story at length. My friend Mike Porcelli has called into this show many times. He's been in studio on this subject many times. The issue of vocational training. Years ago, we in this country developed this mentality that everybody that's in high school should be prepared for college. When the truth is a much better route for a lot of people and one that would serve them much better rather than have them prepare for jeopardy in their senior year in high school is vocational training. Learn to be a mechanic, an electrician, a carpenter, learn a trade. And we've gotten away from that in recent years. There is a town in Maine a state that I've never been to, but I really want to go to because they have ranked choice voting. It's um, a town in Maine called St. George, or as the natives call it, San Giorgio. And St. George, Maine, they wanted to be part of this vocational training. Vocational and technical courses have made a big comeback the last few years in American education. But in St. George... When residents of that community, which is a very big lobster community, which is another reason I'd love to go there because I love lobster. 
when they sought to reintroduce shop class and career training to their local schools a decade ago, they discovered an unexpected problem. The rules of the regional school district wouldn't allow it. So 10 years ago, St. George residents voted 1,163 to 226 to break free and create their own district. And once they essentially seceded and started their new school district, one of the first things they did with that independence was develop a trade program. So this town of St. George, which includes the villages of Port Clyde and Tenants Harbor, it sits on a peninsula that juts out into the um, city of Rockland. And the economy is built around lobstering, and it has been for generations. Parents there are uniquely driven. And there was a big article on this in the Wall Street Journal opinion section over the weekend by Sierra Dawn McLean. Parents there are driven, desperate even, to make this trade program successful. They view lobster fishing as being under threat from federal environmental regulations and the possible construction of offshore wind turbines. Uh, Add that to the problems that I have with offshore wind turbines. If the lobster industry collapses for this community, it's going to be like what happened in parts of Ohio and the Rust Belt when auto manufacturing collapsed in this country and manufacturing in general collapsed in this country, and you're going to see a tremendous job exodus. So the parents in this community that know that their jobs are going to be uh, made obsolete because of the factors that I just mentioned, they want their children to have other career options because they want to keep their town alive. So the district is unusual in that it doesn't wait until students reach high school to incorporate career and technical training into the curriculum. And they start as early as the as elementary school. Fourth graders are designing three-dimensional objects on Tinkercad. Do you know what Tinkercad is? I had no idea. It's a basic engineering software system. Fourth graders are using it. Middle schoolers made insulation for miniature satellites. Kindergartners and first graders are sporting safety goggles and tool belts enthusiastically hammering at wooden boxes they've designed. I think this is great. In this journal opinion piece, there's one eighth grader, William B.J. Hollowell, who's been, they profile who's benefited from this. He had a very poor performance in school who made a U-turn as soon as he was introduced to the trades. And his yard is now cluttered with tractors and snowmobiles that he's taken apart. And he's hoping to become an engineer. I think this is wonderful. Now, St. George did this out of necessity. But I think more and more communities should offer this because what have we been talking about? We are seeing we're in the midst of watching a tremendous change in our economy. People are being replaced by robots and AI. I went to the grocery store maybe about three weeks ago. I think there was one register with a person. Everything else was self-checkout. A computer has taken the job of a person. Read an article yesterday that um, they're now using AI to lay bricks 
Think of all the people in the construction field that are employed because they're laying bricks. And those jobs will go away due to AI. There's a lot happening on the AI front, and I I didn't want to get into this today. uh, But they're now in a position where the people that brought you ChatGPT and the AI art, you can now type in a text prompt and it'll create a video based on whatever your text. So you could say, show me a stylish woman in a red dress and um, leather boots walking in Tokyo, wearing sunglasses on a very crowded street, and it'll create that video for you. Think of what that will do to the people in the video industry, in the entertainment industry, in the film industry. We've already talked about the hazards when it comes to um, radio. So the, the issue is we're in the process of seeing our economy transition to something else. And I think the more people that we can have that know how to build things, that know how to repair things, that know how to fix things, that know how to, um, uh, you know, participate in the trades. I think the better we're going to be as a country because we, um, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think the problem's only gotten more urgent. And I applaud what this town in Maine is doing. And I hope more towns follow their lead here. Uh, you know, I always use the example from, I think, the restaurant at the end of the universe or the book Life, the Universe and Everything, one of those Douglas Adams book books that's a sequel to uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they have this group of people, the Gulga Frenchians, that accomplished nothing. A lot of people in middle management who did things like uh, be telephone sanitizers, and they sent those people away. And I think that... Um, You know, we're in danger in this country of becoming a country that doesn't make anything. And I think that's a big problem. So the more young people can learn these trades and look, I want to be very honest. I say this as somebody and I'm embarrassed about this that uh, doesn't do anything in terms of electrical work, in terms of plumbing or in terms of carpentry. I'd like to get better, and I think I have gotten a little bit better, but um, I watch my dad, who is, again, a a college-educated economist, very bright guy, was vice president of a health insurance company. He can build almost anything you can conceive. He can repair things without an instruction manual and without having to run to YouTube. I can't do that in my um, wildest dreams. So I I think that what this town, St. George, is doing is great. Because um, I, I fear that we're becoming a country that doesn't know how to do anything. The Golga Frenchians were hairdressers and telephone sanitizers. And at least hairdressers have more of a purpose than what, uh, what some of these jobs that are rapidly being made obsolete from technology. So I'd love to hear your view on any of those three education-related topics. Kids are being dropped off instead of taking the bus or walking to school. Mental health days are becoming a thing around the world. And uh, this uh, vocational training is making a comeback in school. And one community even seceded from the community that they were a part of just so they could make sure their kids were learning it. And I applaud those parents that did that. And I wish every school district would do the same thing. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. 
Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, with all this banter I've been hearing about the workplace lunch situation, it brought back memories when I worked in a factory 50 years ago. And uh, it had the same policy. You had to put your name on the bag. But my friend's lunch would go missing almost every day. Was his and, name and on it? Yeah. And it, it clearly he was being targeted because other people with better lunches, they left them alone, but just his would be missing. So he got fed up with this. And he just happened to have a newborn at home. So he uh, took some of the stuff out of the diaper and spread it on some bread, put some jelly on it, and it looked exactly <laughs> like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He put his name on the bag, put it in. Sure enough, it was missing. And surprise, surprise, Frank, his lunch never went missing again. That is very, uh, very funny. I, uh, I, you know, look, I uh, don't want to encourage that kind of conduct, but someone that would eat someone else's food that's labeled, I have very little sympathy for them. Very little sympathy. That's uh, not at all what uh, what I'm doing. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me mention this. So the no labels movement has been something that we've been talking about for a while that really everybody has been talking about. And Joe Manchin was thought to be no labels. If you're not familiar with it, is this group that has been in the process of qualifying an independent candidate around the country. And they've got ballot access in over a dozen states so far, which is very tough, very tough. And so what they've been saying is that if it's a Trump versus Biden rematch, then uh, they would go forward with nominating a ticket of one Democrat and one Republican because folks are unhappy with that, uh, you know, the, that matchup of Trump and Biden. So one of the people that's been mentioned as one of the most likely candidates for this has been Joe Manchin. And ever since he announced in November that he would not run for re-election, he's been the subject of months of guesswork about whether he would seek the presidency as the no-labels candidate. Well, on Friday, he gave us his answer. I will not be seeking a third-party run. I will not be involved in a presidential run. I will be involved in making sure that we secure a president that has the knowledge and has the passion and has the ability to bring this country together. He then continued, he's saying he will not be a deal breaker or a spoiler. Basically, reading between the lines, he said, uh, he didn't say, but he basically implied that he did not want to play a role in reelecting Donald Trump. He didn't want enough folks voting for him to allow Trump to slip in with a plurality. So, okay, Manchin crossed off. Another guy people were talking about was former governor of Maryland, Republican, moderate Republican, Larry Hogan, and he was leaving the door open for it. Well, last week we learned that he's not running for president either. In what's the best possible news for Republicans, he's running for U.S. Senate in Maryland. This is the Democrats' works nightmare because the retiring Senator Ben Cardin, the, the Senator incumbent Senator Ben Cardin is retiring. This had been a safe Democratic seat. Now, with Larry Hogan, who had something like a 70% approval rating when he left office as a Republican governor, with him running, he might win, he might lose, but this is now a seat that was safely blue that the Democrats are now going to have to fight for. 
because Hogan is so popular in that state. So Hogan is out. He's not running as the no labels candidate. He actually went so far as to quit the no labels board. So who else might be the candidate? Some people talk about Nikki Haley. Uh, Some people talk about Liz Cheney. Some people have talked about Chris Christie. I think all of those choices, except maybe Haley, would be uh, very poor. Um, The group's co-chairman, former Senator Joe Lieberman, who's been a guest on this show talking about this, former governor of North Carolina, Pat McCrory, and um, civil rights leader Ben Chavis said they are going to announce in the coming weeks whether they will offer their line to a unity ticket yesterday. Ben Chavis was on MSNBC and he seemed to give us a little insight into when they would be making a decision. He was Ben Chavis. Dr. Chavis, so you have Manchin out. Um, Governor Hogan of Maryland is going to run for the U.S. Senate. Ambassador Huntsman has said it is unlikely that he's going to run. Who then are you talking with? Well, we're talking with several exceptional leaders. Uh, We have our own internal process. And uh, first of all, we welcome uh, Senator Manchin's uh, commitment to continue to work for the common sense majority. As we said, um, No Labels has worked 14 years to build a movement uh, to represent the common sense majority of all Americans. And of course, my background is civil rights. I believe in extending voting rights to all Americans, making sure that every uh, state has ballot access based on the will of the people of those states. So... um, you know, I'm not going to name any names. I can just say uh, without fear of contradiction that we are still talking to uh, several exceptional leaders. And in the next couple of weeks or more, we will probably make an announcement whether or not we will give the ballot access uh, to a unity ticket. And a unity ticket means a Republican and a Democrat. And we are talking to Republicans, Democrats and independents. So he didn't say who it would be. But he said, essentially, that they are going, they will have decided whether to run their own ticket and who its ticket will be by two weeks from now. So that's pretty interesting. The fact that we could have a third major candidate in the race two weeks from now. What I find really bizarre and odd about this whole no labels process is when Ben Chavis says, we have our own internal process that we're going to go through. Well, we've had a lot of no labels leaders on the show. Joe Lieberman, Ryan Clancy, Pat McCrory and others. Admiral Dennis Blair. What did each of them tell me? That this would be a grassroots decision. That this would be something that anybody that's a no label, that signed up for no labels could play a role in. There was even talk of a, a convention, at least an online convention. How are they going to pick a candidate? It sounds like this is not at all a grassroots effort. This sounds like this is a group of insiders dominated by whoever gave this group money. And we don't know who's given them money. They won't disclose it. (laughs) So it sounds like by whatever rules they have determined, they're going to pick a candidate. And the individual people that signed up for no labels, which I did, we have no role in the process whatsoever. And that doesn't sound very Democratic at all. What's Democratic about picking a candidate solely based on whatever the people that put this group together want to do? Now, if that's what you wanted to do, you should have said that. 
instead of making us go through this kabuki dance for the last two years where you would put out there to the public, oh, yeah, yeah, regular people can participate. Regular people are going to have an opportunity to choose among the candidates. Well, we don't even know who the candidates are. They, ben Chavis keeps saying, oh, we're, we're having conversations with candidates. We're having conversations with people that are interested. Who? Who? And how are regular people going to have any say in that? At this point, you know, I'm always complaining about how undemocratic the Democratic and Republican primaries are because by the time your state gets to vote, chances are any candidate that you want to vote for is out. No labels is even worse, it looks like. All right, uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, Noam Layden is here. Let me squeeze in a few quick calls here before we get to Noam. Joe is in Lindbrook. Hi, no- Hi Joe. Hey, I, I know you're a little past this whole school issue, but you know what? You're talking about the busing. I grew up on Staten Island. Mm-hmm. I was in Heartland Village. We, I went to PS69 and IS72, and we walked. Sure, I know the neighborhood well. I used to live not far from there. Well, and then when I went to Port Richmond, I had to walk down Nome Avenue all right, and wait for the corner bus to go to Port Richmond. All right. Well, and so tell me what you make of this trend of children not taking buses anymore. Uh, do you do you really want me to say it on the, on the radio? Yeah, well, I mean, it, I, I I can't imagine it's so offensive that people are going to tune out if you say it. Yeah, say it. Well, school buses. You know, I walked. Matter of fact, I was a latchkey kid. Okay, and you know, it's. I mean, they have to walk. I mean, either walk, take public transportation, like we did. Yeah, well, I, I, Joe, I agree. I uh, I totally understand that. And I guess, you know, for the factors that I mentioned, kids are not doing that these days. And part of it is due to the school bus shortage. But um, obviously that wouldn't apply to kids that live close enough as you did to school. And I'm glad you got that opportunity. I used to walk home from school uh, because, well, whatever. You don't need to get into my whole situation. 800-848-9222. Maria is on Long Island. Hi, Maria. Hi, Annie. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, we took the bus from Island Park to West Hempstead. It was a 40-minute bus ride to high school because Island Park didn't have a high school. Wow. On, on the kids with the absentees, with the extra three-day mental health, you talked about this last week. There's a certain amount of days children have to be in school. So I don't know how they're going to work that out with the sick days anyway. Well, mental but health days, was, not sick days. Yeah. You know, and... um a lot of parents do drive their kids to school because they don't want them to be on the buses for a lot of reasons. But two other quick things. Um, I sent you some mail in the mail, regular mail, you know, with a postage stamp. Right, snail mail. And I know you said that you didn't get it last week, and I was wondering, because I sent you another thing. So maybe I'll email you my birthday list of songs. <laughs> Well, it sounds good, Maria. I hope you do. Yeah, I don't think uh, they've made a trip to the P.O. Box in a while, but I will follow up with the powers that be here, and I will find out. Thank you, Maria. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. What's on your mind, Robert? Hi, Frank. Vocational education is the best thing that teenagers can have when they're in high school. It opens up a whole world of opportunities to them that they otherwise may not have. And it also helps prepare them with many skills that will help them in life after school. For example, I took, I changed schools between the summer of 10th and 11th grade. I went from Catholic schools to public school. 
Why? Because they had industrial arts vocational courses. Mechanical drawing, architecture, wood shop, metal shop, and other courses like that, which I was able to use my head, use my hands, make things, fix things, and it's helped guide me throughout my life. And I was able to get jobs, too, with the skills that I acquired. Well, that's wonderful, Robert. I mean, that's exactly what I'm hoping to do here, Robert. Thank you. Uh, let me get in at least one more call here before we get to know him later. John Vito is on Staten Island. Hi, John Vito. Hey, what a pleasure. You know, Likewise. I'm so it, it, it's, it's, it's so great that I woke up to make a stop. Wonderful. Okay? Wonderful. So my, at my age, you got to make a stop or two. <laughs> but right now, I, I, I was tempted not really to listen to you because it happens at times. But I have to call. Now you anyway, know how I feel. Whatever the person before me said. I back them up 100%. I'm a product of uh, just leaving uh, the field. They used to be the agriculture, agriculture only when I was growing up. My father wanted you have to go to vacation. You got to go to school. You got to be uh, working in the industry so you get a secure pay. Now, of course, this is very important for anyone. In fact, you should have Mike Porcelli have a little bit during the day about, you know, all of the programs, the vocational high school. I came, when I came, from Italy, I went to in school to pick up, and that's what made me pick up English because I felt it was so foolish. In Italy, we didn't see the teacher write every word, and I used to copy and everything, and now I can speak just like, a, I mean, like I went to college, but it doesn't matter. That's for me to, not for me to judge. I can fix anything from A to Z. I was in the field fixing bridges and tunnels I'm in my career. Right now, I can do A to Z. I can work like a laborer for under $50, $200 a day. I can, everything A to Z. My house, no, no person came only to read the mirrors. Years ago, they had to come down and read the mirror in the basement. That's the only people that came. I was on the roof, in the basement, in the yard, put in the windows, everything A to Z. Now, I'm in Staten Island. I got a brand new house. But if I have friends and they need help, you might need a little bit of my teaching. You're good in everything else, probably can hold the screwdriver like you should <laughs> because people you give a screwdriver to the people today they don't know how to use it they can hurt themselves and they can hurt the one next to themselves them because the tool you have to use you have to be part of it not everybody has to go to college the college is all baloney don't have to, you don't need to go to college for to work if you have can use tools you create from nothing you saw my boat when i was marches columbus i made it from cardboard in two hours no it's a very very impressive john vito not, uh, hey, hey, thank you i got yeah. uh, i got gnome laden waiting in the wings i appreciate the call and your boat making acumen uh this is the other side of midnight we'll continue with your calls a bit later 800-848-9222 straight ahead the other side of midnight with frank morano Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
20 minutes until the top of the hour. Playing a lot of 80s music in honor of my friend Carmine Ramundi's birthday. Happy birthday, Carmine Ramundi. Uh, we'll get back to your calls in just a bit. But first... Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, no. Good morning, Frank. Orlando, Florida. This huge story, I wouldn't call it breaking news, but surprising to so many lawmakers there. A leader of an Orlando school walks into a classroom. He's called to this classroom, fourth graders, where they're acting out in class by the teacher who can't handle it anymore. He comes in. And he spanks almost every one of the kids in the classroom who is acting out. And the spanking was uh, apparently so bad. I mean, he hit them uh, that the local attorney general, the county general, came in and said, oh, I might need to file charges and press charges against the leader of the school. But they come to find out, and so many Florida lawmakers were surprised by this, that Florida still allows corporal punishment in its schools. That was going to be my first question. Yes. So no charge is going to be filed against the leader of this school in Orlando, even though some parents say they should be for having their kids spanked. But the parents just as surprised as well that this is still uh, actionable. You can do this in a Florida school. And in fact, uh, every year, the number of people who get spanked has gone down. They keep records when they can. Of course, not all of the they're not collecting all the data because not all the schools report. But there were 67 public schools where 509 students faced corporal punishment punishments or corporal spankings, I should say, for their actions with inside schools. There are uh, 18 states across the country that still have corporal punishment on the books, almost all of them. In the South, uh, again, they also apparently collect data, but only can collect data when school reports it. And in some of those states, parents are like, I'm okay with that. If the teacher wants to take action against my kids for misbehaving in class, go ahead. But in the school in Orlando, the parents were very surprised to find out that this administrator is not going to face any charges for hitting their kids. Well, aside from the criminal charges, is he facing any sort of internal school uh, problems? So, So, no, everything he did was in accordance with the rules and the law. A well liked administrator who apparently had done this before, but maybe it wasn't so many students at the same time. It was one here, one there. But in this case, it was almost a whole class of students. No charges. But you do have lawmakers across the street who were just as surprised as those ones in Orlando. They said, wait a minute, corporal punishment is still on the books. And so now uh, they're going to try to push through some sort of bill that maybe will take that away. I am looking at the states that allow corporal punishment. I'm seeing 17 states Allowing corporal punishment, at least as of last year. Maybe some of them did away with it. But um, it is interesting. Florida, don't they ban almost every type of book there, but they still allow corporal punishment? They do. My goodness. I wonder how all the transplanted New Yorkers that are moving there, and I know many, 
and I may investigate this myself, how they're feeling going from a, a jurisdiction that didn't allow corporal punishment to going to school systems where they allow you to sm- spank your kids. Yeah, I can't imagine that there. I mean, I would be outraged to know that somebody had touched my kid in the classroom because that wasn't the way I d- doled out punishment to my kids. I guess you got to think about that before you move to Florida. Yeah. So Florida may not be the place to go. A severely burned woman in India was uh, thought to be dead. Boy, we get these stories so often, but it's amazing how many there are of them. So she was uh, uh, had suffered these terrible burns over like almost all of her body in a fire. And they were bringing her to have her cremated. And on her way there, you know what's going to happen here. All of a sudden, this hearse is taking her to carry her to this cremation to prepare her body for cremation. And she wakes up. And the person who was driving the hearse said he had never, ever in all the history of driving this hearse had had this happen to him. So shocking discovery. He brings her back to the hospital. And she's not going to be okay, but she's still alive. I mean, she's bad shape. Then we come to find out how often this happens. So Hmm. in February of last year, an 82-year-old woman rose from the dead on Long Island after she was pronounced dead at the Water's Edge Rehab and Nursing Center. That's in uh, Port Jefferson out of Long Island. She um, was brought to the funeral home uh, about 10 minutes away. And when they unzipped the bag, she was struggling to breathe. So she was alive. Uh, So then there was an Iowa one that just the previous week, this is all in the last, you know, last year or so. This one just a week or two ago in Iowa, nursing home fined for $10,000, similarly pronouncing a hospice patient dead, shipping her to um, a uh, funeral home. And when the funeral home unzipped the bag there, this was a 66-year-old woman inside. They found her gasping for air. She was still alive. So, you know, usually you have to give some sort of death certificate before you could have a cremation or hand it over to a funeral home. But here's three examples just in the last year of people who were alive. Now, by the way, none of them in great shape. They're still alive, but, you know, I don't know quality of life. they're Do we know and I I don't know that this this is a statistic that anybody keeps track of. Do we know if this is any more or less prevalent than it was 30 or 40 years ago, getting ready to bury living people, essentially, either in this country around the, or around the world? Don't know the answer to that. I'm hoping this is a problem that is improving over right. time. I, if I had to guess, and I don't know, I'd have to go research it, and maybe I will, is it's probably no different than it was 30, 40 years right. ago. Hey, Once in a while, it happens. If you're alive and somebody once tried to bury you, <laughs> give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. And uh, Mitch McConnell, you do not need to call. We'll take your word. We already know. Yes. Yeah. One last short one. This is kind of cute. This is a, a, a growing trend at dentist's office across the country. Started in this one in downtown Minneapolis where, you know, people are just skittish as ever to go to the dentist. They always have been. And so this dental office in Minneapolis found that if you brought in a dog and you put the dog on a patient's lap, they were more mellow. They were more willing to sit through the procedure. And so now we've seen 10 different offices across the country follow the lead of this one in Minneapolis that started doing it at the end of last year. Say they have the same sort of reaction. Patients say they love having a dog on their lap, petting them, the dog licking them, that it makes the dental procedure a whole lot more tolerable. I think that's uh, I think that's great. You know, I think, um, you know, I'm a dog person and I can see a lot of people, especially children, 
really who are anxious about uh, getting a cavity filled or something along those lines, having a better experience if there's a dog involved. I like going to the dentist. Maybe it's because I've never had any of these dental procedures, uh, root canal or uh, anything like that. But um, I, I don't I don't mind it. But I know a lot of people, these two guys behind the glass, they haven't been to the dentist since Bill Clinton was. Oh, president. you're kidding. Well, I mean, they're they're in a bad way. They're going to be in a bad way at some yeah, point. Yeah, no doubt. Have you ever had any of those uh, weird dental I, things? I have. Not weird, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had tough dental things. Yeah, yeah. And you just sort of have to sit there and deal with it, you know. They yeah. give you, they shoot you up with enough Novocaine, you're feeling all right. Yeah, I had wisdom <laughs> teeth pulled, but like yeah. you said, they give you that local anesthetic. Yeah. It's uh, it's no big deal. Uh, well, thank you, Noam. It's sure. great to have you back. We missed thank you, you yesterday. Thanks. Yeah. And now you know the rest of the story. 800-848-9222. Jerry is in the Queens. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Frank. How are you this morning? You sound great. Thank you. I'd like to comment about that town in Maine. That is absolutely fabulous what they've been able to accomplish. They're developing a portion of the brain that, unfortunately, in the normal school system is not uh, touched. And uh, the other thing you mentioned about this town, uh, that the, the loss of the uh, lobster industry and then the coming of the, uh, what is it, the wind tunnels, right. those oh, wind, wind mills, turbines, right. that's it's horrible. I'm familiar with that area, Port Clyde and Tenants Harbor, because my husband's an artist, and we were up there five different times. It's very picturesque, and obviously uh, lots of scenery, beautiful scenery for artists. And uh, the the the, uh, the the building of the wind tunnels, that's just just a horrible thought to me because I can see how that the picturesque area of the coast of Maine will be damaged. And I'm sorry to hear about the loss of the lobster industry. Their lobsters are fantastic. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to say very quickly, the loss of the vocational schooling system in New York City a terrible, a, ter- a terrible loss to us. And obviously you were a product of the New York City school system and you have difficulty with little tasks around the house. So I'm, I'm all for what they've accomplished. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And thank you for reporting on that. It's a wa- Go to Maine and get sh- make sure you go to Port Clyde and Tenants Harbor. Uh, They're very picturesque areas. I'd Wonderful. like to, Jerry. Uh, thank you. I agree with everything you said. 800-848-9222. Joaquin in Pennsylvania has been waiting very patiently. Hi, Joaquin. Hey, Frank. I'm one of those guys who's turning 65 this year. Oh, wonderful. You're part of that silver tsunami. Yes. Now, you know, you, you do like to kind of mock my infirmities, but do you know that two and a half to three years ago, I did up to 850 push-ups a day. 850? Yes. Every, every day? Time. Not every day. No, I did between. I, I was I was going for the record of Herschel Walker of 1,000, and I was doing a couple hundred every day. And when he said he did 1,000 a day, I made it a goal to try and do 1,000. Wow. I think I was 850. Uh, that is uh, quite impressive. Way to go. Now, unfortunately, due to my injury when I was 17 years old, getting shot, my body's been debilitating over the last two years, you know, two and a half years, at an astronomical rate. So I'm not, you know, <clears throat> I'm not in any kind of good shape right now. But, you know, I'm one of those older guys that the younger guys tend to gravitate towards. Now, I know you say you wear a fedora. I always wore a cowboy hat, and everybody calls me cowboy. And uh, so my, I always mused that if I wanted to, I could raise an army of young guys. 
<laughs> I don't doubt it. Hey, Joaquin, uh, congratulations on the until recently um, impressive push-up prowess. Way to go. And I'm glad you turned 65 this year. You're, you're part of that silver tsunami, and pretty soon you're going to have all the power. That's great. All right, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. We'll do uh, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. When the lights go down and your dreams go wrong, in the darkness you might need a place to hide. The other side of midnight. You By Stevie G and the Super Bowl viewers. Uh, an instant classic, if ever there was one. Uh, this guy retired on this song. Did so well with this song, became such a big hit. Doesn't have to work again. Or he just chooses not to work again. One of the two. All right. Uh, we are going to give you an opportunity. Hey, tomorrow, uh, Dr. Sky is going to be here. They just discovered what is very likely the brightest thing in the galaxy. That's pretty cool. We'll talk about that with him. And uh, Congressman Tom McClintock is scheduled to join us as well, making his debut on the program. Uh, I've been an admirer of his for a long time. Looking forward to talking with him. But first. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Mike. Morning, Frank. Carmine's insomnia cure put a transistor radio in his room, set it to WABC 77. Have mom turn it on at 1 a.m. He'll sleep like a baby. And if he doesn't, you can discuss the high and low points of the show when you get home. Raji. Nati, Nati. Marhaba, America. As Gaza is being annihilated, tens of thousands of homeless refugees are already pouring into President Biden's generous America. Gene. Robert. Vocational education should be required in all secondary schools. And there are many state programs, probably in every state, that will help you get vocational training. Ralph. Legends Diner, Secaucus, New Jersey. The best old-fashioned tin diner adorned with black and white photos of Hollywood legends with the best food, prices. Ray. Sid was on Mark Levin last night. What a great interview. I hope the truckers stick it to the city. Rusty. Yeah, to the listeners. This guy senses everything. Don't waste your time calling. It takes at least 10 minutes to get on the show. Practice what you preach. Charles. Two Two elderly Jewish men decide to meet in the park. On a cold winter morning, they're both sitting, not saying anything. Finally, Sam says to Chaim, say something. He says, nah, you freeze your hands off. 
<laughs> On that note, Frank Morano, good day.